Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, January 24, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. God has come back to the census. I mean, I walked yeah, out of the, feels out of the house nice. this morning, and it's in, it's in the mid, what, 40s, lower 40s, somewhere thereabout. I mean, I don't know if God went on vacation. I don't know if God had just plan, other plans that got him real consumed with some some heathens here's how that skewed, he's trying to work on and redeem. Here's your uh, how skewed your internal thermometer is. It's actually 55. Is it 55? Yeah. Okay. That's why it felt so nice. It felt 45-ish. <laughs> okay, so it's 55. Uh, Monday it was 21. I think it was 19 in yeah. the teens here in, uh, in Florence. By the end of the week, I'm reading it's going to be 75. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get the rain during the week and the clear skies on the on the weekend i'm for that i'm just glad god's back on the post i mean <laughs> apparently he had something better to do and lost sight of the good old south and 18 degrees don't jiha fair enough but josh um, was loving it well good for josh um <laughs> good for josh yeah, that's what i said yeah. good for josh Josh needs to find him a radio job at green bay or baller <laughs> is what i'll encourage him and uh, not now but eventually if you like the cold weather um we'll talk to bold about buffalo and We'll find some Green Bay Packer to give you a job, but maybe the uh, maybe voice of the Green Bay Packers may be in your future. Oh. In your future, the frozen tundra. Um, <laughs> how about them? I mean, I'm not talking about the New Hampshire primary. Obviously, we'll get to that. Um, one of the blue bloods in all of college basketball. Oh yeah, come rolling into town. I watched that and get that ass cut. <laughs> um, wow, where did that come from? Um, you know, the, the Gamecock basketball program is a, is, is an oddity. I mean, it really is, Rev. Um, there are Gamecock fans that believe a wiser investment would be made in basketball. In other words, why try to beat Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, now Texas and Oklahoma in football? That ain't happening. Why not try to be better in Kentucky in basketball? I mean, why not kind of um, make an agreement within the university that we're not giving up on football, but we're going to be okay to be okay. But we're going to try to be elite in basketball. It's a metropolitan campus. It's in the South. It's in a Power Five conference, a very prestigious Power Five conference. The competition in basketball is not like the competition in uh, in football. In football, I'll give you an example. Look at the NFL draft. Look at the college football recruiting rankings. And then look at the NBA draft. And look at the um, the NCAA college basketball recruitings. It's easier to make a, a statement in basketball than it is in uh, in football. It's a little bit Clemson kind of has an inverted issue. I mean they they're they're in a basketball league, uh, NC State. Well, I mean just start with Duke, North Carolina. But then you've got NC State who's won national championships. You've got um, Wake Forest at times, and I'm thinking about Tim Duncan and some other players. Um, I mean at Georgia Tech has a history-rich program with Bobby Crimmins, you know, with the helm. I mean, there's some history in the ACC. There's not a lot of history in the SEC basketball. I mean, there's just not. Um, Florida won a couple of national championships when Billy Donovan was there. Um, but, I mean, Kentucky's been the gold standard in college basketball. I mean, it's been the SEC's representation of the gold standard. And the Gamecocks, for some crazy reason, have had Kentucky's number. I mean, that doesn't mean they win 8 of 10. I mean, they're not doing that. But they, they have been a thorn in Kentucky's side. A little bit like football in, in reverse. Um, there, there have been several True. years I really felt the Gamecocks were better than Kentucky 
in football to the Wildcats would figure out a way to win. Um, but there's no way you'll convince me that the Gamecocks are more talented in basketball than Kentucky. Um, I mean, Kentucky's roster is like a McDonald's drive through the McDonald's All-American team, you know, these 12 players. Well, I mean, of the 12 players, three go to Kansas, three go to Kentucky, three go to North Carolina, three go to Duke, and everybody else is fighting for scraps. But last night in um, Colonial Life Arena, I'm back and forth. My daughter is at the game, and I want to give the – I mean, I pick on the university a lot of times for being so bureaucratic and inefficient. They have decided to give students tickets. And when the students get there, five minutes into the game, they tell the students basically, hey, if you see a better seat, go get it. But they're not enforcing, let me see that ticket, son. Let me see that ticket, ma'am. Um, college kids, because they could be a bit rambunctious and, uh, and not quite as orderly as some of the old um, garnet blazer-wearing Gamecock club members of uh, 100 years that believe they're entitled to sit down, cross their arms, and watch a basketball game. Um, the students kind of um, add a little enthusiasm to the mix. But I want to congratulate. I mean, I've been critical of Ray. I've been critical of athletics in general. But it looks to me like Ray Tanner made a good hire. I mean, I think there's a body of work now. It's not a five-year, you know, hey, look at what they've done. But it does seem to me that he finds talent. He knows how to coach that talent. The Gamecocks will never recruit at the level of the Blue Bloods. I mean, they're just not. They're not Kansas. They're not Kentucky. They're not North Carolina. They're not Duke. But they figured out a way to be decent enough in basketball to convince some of these transfer portal kids, hey, come here. We cobble together a team, make an NCAA tournament, and who knows? And, I mean, we know how that works. Who knows is exactly right. You get an invite. Next thing you know, you win a game. You upset a team. You're in Madison Square Garden. We lived it. Yeah, we lived it. I mean, we, there is no way we were one of the four best teams in America that year. <laughs> we were one of the four teams playing in the Final Four. But there are Gamecock fans who believe it's probably smarter to stop beating your head against the wall, the college football wall that includes Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Tennessee, Florida. Let's beat our head. Ole Miss now. Missouri now. I left Ole Miss and Missouri out, and they're probably likely to be in the in the college basketball. Instead, let's beat our head against that wall that includes, at times, Alabama, at times, Florida, at times, Ole Miss, but but normally Kentucky. And if you can if you can become consistently competitive with Kentucky, you're consistently an NCAA um, tournament team, and you get in the dance. Who knows where it goes from there? Because I'll tell you. I am a football-headed bozo. I mean, there is no doubt about it. I am a football-headed bozo. There is no sporting event in America more exciting than March Madness. I mean, the, the college bowl season, no. NFL playoffs, no. March Madness is the epitome of the, the spirit and excitement of the unexpected. Can this team, the 16 seed, upset the one seed? Probably not. Can the 15 seed upset the two seed? Gamecock fans know yes. Coppin State had a coach named Fang. Uh, imagine that. I mean, we lost as a two seed to a 15 seed to a team named Coppin State, and the coach's name was Fang. I'm not talking about a nickname, Josh. I'm talking about his real name was Fang. Um, but anyway, congratulations to the Gamecocks upsetting one of the blue bloods in college and basketball. And pretty convincing. Well, and congratulations to the university for allowing the kids to go on the court. I mean, I know that's dangerous, and there'll be a fine, and the SEC will issue a letter of uh, a reprimand. But if the Tigers beat North Carolina or the Tigers beat Duke, I mean, it's similar to the Gamecocks beating 
uh, Kentucky. I mean, Duke and North Carolina are the blue bloods of the ACC. Kentucky is the blue blood of the SEC. And when you upset them at home, let the fans have a little fun. Um, I saw the students swimming in the fountain out front of Colonial Live Arena. Um, they'll have to, they'll have to drain the fountain of all the alcohol <laughs> that is now um, <laughs> going to make its way into the. Uh, and it will get to the politics because it's a big night. Um, underperformance, overperformance. Kentucky underperformed. The Gamecocks overperformed. Now we can go to New Hampshire. Did Trump underperform? I don't think so. Did Nikki overperform? Maybe I, by a percentage or two. I went back and looked at some of the uh, the latest, the last polling that we had. Trafalgar had Trump at 58. He's going to end up at about 55. Um, Boston Globe had Trump at 59. Ended up at about, well, 55. And then Insider Advantage, 62. I never bought into that. Insider Advantage is not a very good polling company. I don't want to say they're not reputable, but they're not very accurate. <laughs> if you're a pollster... And you want to be reputable, you need to be somewhat accurate. Uh, I'll talk to Robert a little bit. I texted Robert last night and said some of the exit polling suggested that more Democrats were voting than some of the models suggested. And Robert admitted that. I mean, he said, I don't know if I'm buying the exit polling, but in some of the um, in some of the precincts where history shows there is Democrats registering as Republicans, unaffiliates, um, but I know they're Democrats. I mean, 70% of Haley's voters were not Republicans. I mean, we can debate whether they're independents or Democrats, but 70% were not Republicans. 26%, here's how you know they're Democrats. 26% of the people who voted via the, uh, per the exit polling said the economy's in good standing. Well, I mean, we know those are Democrats. I mean, they're defending the Biden administration. 26% of people who voted said the economy's good. Nikki got 85% of that 26%. So a lot of her vote was Democrats. And, you know, can you clean that up? Do you need to change the system? It's New Hampshire, man. I mean, New Hampshire gets to decide how New Hampshire wants to decide. I, I'm, I'm confused by Nikki now saying it's a great day for the Haley campaign. John Sununu said, you know, it's it's just the moment the race flipped. I, I don't I don't get that. I mean, I just, for the life of me. Came in second foolish. in a two-person race. I mean, you didn't come in second, man. You got smoked. I mean, you didn't get smoked 58-36, but you got smoked 55-42. to 42. That doesn't change anything. I mean, that, that is the only place that Nikki had a chance. And, I, and I'll say this. I mean, I told someone yesterday, if she doesn't come within five or six, she's not a viable candidate. I mean, she can continue for as long as the donors will fund her. And, and, and the one thing I'm sure of, I'm not sure what lies ahead. Consultants will take donors' money until the last minute. I mean, they will always try to convince the candidate and the donors, we got a chance to win this thing. There is zero chance that Nikki Haley is going to beat Donald Trump in a primary. Zero chance. There's a little bit of me as an America firster believing that Nikki is now the darling of the establishment. There's a little bit of me that says, okay, come get some. I mean, let, let's come to South Carolina and let's Trump put a full court press on and let's put the, let's kill, well, that's a, a poor choice of word, words. Let's, um, let's make this the establishment's last hurrah. I mean, the establishment doesn't need to die in New Hampshire. I mean, the establishment, the GOP establishment needs to die in South Carolina. So let's let's kill, I'll use that word, let's kill the GOP establishment figuratively, not literally, um, in South Carolina. New Hampshire, thank you. Iowa, thank you. But you're not as respected or revered as us Palmetto Staters are about seceding and rebellion and revolution. 
So let's end the GOP establishment's control of the Republican Party, not in Iowa, not in New Hampshire, but rather in South Carolina. Let's America Firsters defeat our former governor in excess of 60 to 40. But I think that, that, that is a loud and clear message to America that this is a party dominated by the political ideology or, or energy of America first. Let's go to the phone. Bird in Marlboro County. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Uh, like I said, it was a great night for President Trump. Uh, Double-digit win. Uh, 8% of the votes still left to be counted. I think that's probably in the rural areas. So Trump's numbers, uh, like I said, right now is 11. I think you're right, Ken. I think it's going to go to 13 to 15. Uh, record Republican vote, 293,000 people voted. Uh, record was 2016, 284,000. Only 101,000 Democrats voted yesterday. So uh, so three to one beating uh, in New Hampshire for the Democrats versus the Republicans. But uh, back to Haley, you know, when she started in last night, I don't know if you saw that, Ken, but a lot of us in Darlington at the Grand Ole Post Office, we thought she was getting ready to concede when she started thanking her parents and stuff. And then she flipped and and, and got in with that vindictive uh, attitude that she has. But anyway, 70 percent of the people that voted for her were, were not uh, – Republicans, um, and I think most of them were independents. I don't know how much of the Democrat votes she got. Uh, supposedly, not a lot of them changed their affiliation by October 31st. But anyway, when you look at the raw Republican vote, uh, Donald Trump beat Nikki Haley last night, 80 to 20, if you looked at just the Republican vote. So it's just uh, when they look at the numbers and stuff, she took a pretty good whipping last night. It wasn't an Iowa whipping, but uh, when the numbers were all added up, Nikki Haley uh, got cream last night. Uh, by the uh, we the people, and I think uh, Vivek, I think he made that clear that uh, she's in with the establishment and the donors, and as long as the money holds out, she's going to stay in there. But uh, we the people defeated the donors last night, and 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 President Trump and uh, his movement uh, for America is alive and well. And it uh, last night just uh, it's, uh, just put an exclamation point on that. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate it. Eight four three. Six six one zero nine three seven is our number. You've got a kind of a perfect combination. It's a perfect storm. You've got a candidate that believes they deserve to win. And I know enough about Nikki to know that she believes she deserves to win. She'll talk a lot about underestimating her, you know, never being the favorite brown girl from Bamberg, um, you know, c- kind of um, came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I've heard that over and over and over again. So you got a candidate that believes they're deserving to win you got donors who hate Donald Trump, and you got consultants that will take money whether they've got a chance to win or not. Consultants are not honest brokers. I mean, they're just not. Consultants are mercenaries. I mean, they're looking to get paid. They'll wear an orange vest. They'll wear a garnet vest. They'll wear a, a baby blue or Scott. They'll wear a—anyway, it, it doesn't matter to them. I mean, they're, they're, they're complete and total mercenaries. And as long as a candidate like Haley, who believes she deserves to win— and you got consultants who want to get paid and donors who hate Donald Trump. I mean, that, that's kind of the perfect recipe for this thing lasting longer than common sense says it should, or a political intuition says it should. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Chris in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Hey, guys. Um. I got to say, when I was watching last night, Nikki and also Trump, I kept thinking, why in the world is she still saying in? She's not going to win. And then I thought Trump is just really, like, really mad. You could just see it on his face. He was so angry that she was still in this. And 
And I woke up this morning, I thought, and it was in my head, yeah, it's because who are her donors? The big never-Trumpers, Democrats are her donors. They want her to stay, and they'll pay as much as they need to to keep him occupied. He's got all these different um, court cases going on, and they want to keep him occupied. She's going to push for the debate. A debate, so he has to do debate prep and all these other things and keep him exhausted. And he's, I mean, a person can take so much. And at his age, the amount of travel he's done, all the things he's dealing with right now, he is amazing. But she, she is doing it just for that reason. And furthermore, on the part where she talks about being brown, she is such a liar because there, this is not a racist state. She became the governor of this state. If we were so racist and she felt that all every day of her life, she would have done something as a governor and fixed this racist state. But we're not a racist state because she didn't need to even deal with that because that's not a non-issue in South Carolina. And she was our governor. She's not a Republican. She's not a Democrat. She's a lying, manipulative opportunist. That's all she's ever been, and that's all she ever will be. And she goes where the money goes, and she does not care. She's evil. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, I, I've said I like for, Chris. Well, I mean, I've said for two <laughs> weeks. I've said for two weeks. You enter the scene. I stood as close to Nikki Haley as I am to Dave Baker right now and watched Sarah Palin endorse Nikki Haley. I was there. I was running for lieutenant governor. I had to be at all that. Well, now it's, it's, it's crap. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go to that crap anymore. But at the time. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to get support of um, Tea Party supporters and corporate supporters and establishment. I'm trying to win a primary. I mean, it's about addition. That's the way you win. You add people to your support tally. That's how you win elections. It's still math. I mean, you got ideology and philosophy and you got contrast and you got good candidate, bad candidate, but it's still about math. So at the State House one Saturday morning, might have been Wednesday, might have been Wednesday morning. I stood as close as I'm sitting to the Royal Rev of radio, and I watched Sarah Palin endorse Nikki Haley. Nikki was at about 7 or 8% of the poll. Gresham Barrett, Henry McMaster, and Andre Bauer were all ahead of Nikki Haley in that um, 2010 gubernatorial election. John Lerner is Nikki Haley's consultant, longtime consultant, very capable and smart man. Lerner had an in with the Tea Party. Lerner had an in with Sarah Palin. I don't know what it was. I never tried to understand it. But Lerner had a way to convince Palin that if he in, if she endorsed, I mean, it's, it's go, girl, go. You know, Palin, girl, girl, go. Um, I'm sorry. You know, some of our audience doesn't like when I say that, but it's the truth. I mean, that's Nikki's modus operandi. Go, girl, go. I mean, I'll throw this heel at you. The fellas said this, and I'm, you know, the gal, the one lady in the race, or, you know, the brown girl. I mean, it's, it's very subtle. But it's identity politics. I mean, she's as good at identity politics as any Democrat ever has been. But I watched Nikki Haley take off like a rocket as the darling of the establishment, the good old boys of the GOP, Gresham Baird, Andre Bauer, Henry McMaster. They don't have your best interests at heart. I'm the outsider. I mean, I, I'm, the, I'm the true conservative in this race. Palin blesses Nikki Haley. Nikki takes off, wins the primary. Wins the runoff against Henry uh, Gresham. Uh, run the, wins the runoff against Gresham Barrett, who was a congressman from the upstate. And um, she she governs in, in kind of a similar fashion to Mark Sanford. And by that, I mean 
You're governor of South Carolina, but your eyes on what's next. I mean, is there is there something else out there bigger and better? Um, her entire governorship, to me, was all about what is my brand at the national level. I mean, I'll, I'll give Henry a little credit here. Um, Henry has not had an eye on another job. Mark did. Nikki did. We had 16 years of a governor wanted to be something other than governor. The governor of South Carolina is a national a nationally consequential political figure. Why? The Republican primary in South Carolina normally thins the herd. I mean, this is unusual. I mean, we, we normally First have six or eight. Yeah. We normally have six or eight competitive candidates come to South Carolina and we, you know, we thin the herd. I mean, a lot of the candidates make it to South Carolina. They don't make it past South Carolina campaigns. I mean, we make presidents and we kill campaigns. That's kind of what South Carolina is known for. So Nikki comes on the scene <laughs> excuse me, as darling of the Tea Party, and she's going to exit the scene as darling of the donor establishment. I mean, you... What does that tell you? Well, I mean, I get she's an accomplished politician. She's good at it. I mean, I've seen it up close and personal. I mean, she is unbelievably focused, very ambitious, will will accept coaching, and by that I mean I, I saw something on the National Review this morning about how contrived some of what she says seem. Finger in the air at exactly the right time. Swing of the hair at exactly the right time. You know, the good old boys at exactly. I mean, it's so coached and rehearsed. I mean, it, it, it drives me nuts. But most uh, voters are a little bit naive. I mean, they just are. And when she, I'll tell you one thing about those fellas. I mean, that's straight out of John Lerner's playbook. I mean, that, that's contrived. That is rehearsed. I mean, that's plastic politics as far as I'm concerned. I said uh, Monday, I'd rather watch Trump cuss, you know, than I had some of these plastic politicians, you know, give the punchlines right around in a um, in a red Mustang. I mean, that's look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, I mean, this, you know, I'm riding, I'm 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 sliding on a snow sled past a gaggle of reporters, and I give the big smile and the old double thumbs up. I mean, that makes me want to puke. I mean, it really does. Um, I mean, my campaign wanted me to do some of that. I'm not doing that. What do you mean? I'm not getting. I'm not giving the double thumbs up. But I mean, how stupid do I look with a double thumbs up? Well, yeah, the double peace sign, you know. Um, I mean, it's, it's so <sighs> disingenuous. I mean, it truly is. But you've got to ask yourself, guys, if is Nikki the darling of the Tea Party or is she the darling of the establishment? And, and I'll answer it for you. Nikki's what Nikki needs to be. Whatever is in Nikki's best interest, and I'm not offended by that. The majority of politicians are like that. And if right now I need to be darling of the Tea Party, I'll be darling of the Tea Party. If later in life I need to be darling of the establishment, I'll be darling of the establishment. Now, the one thing that is getting overlooked here that is a little bit to Trump's advantage, and I've thought about this. I said, well, you need me thinking about these things you guys don't consider. The donors hate Trump. The consultants will take the donors' money. The consultants will meet with Nikki and convince her this isn't over. I mean, there, there's a path forward. It's a narrow path, but there's a path forward. The consultants will buy that because they hate Trump so much. But the donor class are never going to support Donald Trump. So let them waste enormous amounts of money trying to beat Trump in a primary. They'll have less money to try to beat him in a general. I mean, they've got a lot of money. I mean, the donor class has got billions and billions and billions that they'll spend on politics. But for every dollar they're trying to or they're spending, to unsuccessfully beat Trump in a primary, 
is a dollar that won't be. Trump is never going to be darling of the donor class. He's just not. Trump has made his mind up. He's going to be a candidate. Now, is he, is he sincere? I don't know. I mean, we've had 100 debates about his sincerity or not. But right now, his bread and butter is the working class. I mean, that's his bread and butter. Bird uh, was talking about he's at 55 now. He could get to 56 because some of the rural vote is slow to come in. And he'll do exceedingly well in the rural vote. I mean, he'll win rural America no matter what the state is. I mean, that, that, they're his guy. That's his people. Is he sincere? I don't have any idea. But the donor class hate Trump because Trump is kind of a um, uh, an impediment to them controlling even more of the political apparatus. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a few. I do want to, in the 7 o'clock hour, I want to set aside some time and go back to a conversation we had yesterday um, with Jeff. I mean, Jeff and I got a little bit passionate toward uh, one another. Um, the word disgusting flew around a time or two. Our good friend Randy Cato sent Rev and I a text yesterday afternoon that said, Robin Ventura charged the mound and found Nolan Ryan. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I don't want to be disrespectful. I mean that. I want to be polite and respectful and and, and appropriately respond to people who have differing and, and varying opinions. But we were accused of, you know, uh, not not honoring the responsibility we have as a radio show and forum and medium of, of allowing somebody on that just shouldn't be allowed on. And I I, I just think that's that's nonsense. I was but, I was it was very interesting to me that us just playing and it was a random uh, a random part of an interview with Alex Jones that we played on the show. And we didn't pick a specific area or subject or anything like that. Just you're kind of making a point, you know, of how interesting and entertaining and sometimes, you know, terribly terrible and weird and smart and everything this this guy is. I mean, he's he's an interesting person and good and bad, I guess. Um, but we just randomly picked that, played it, and the way it triggered Jeff yesterday to call, because he was, I mean, he was pretty aggressive toward you to begin with, and I just thought that was very interesting. Well, and, and I was aggressive back toward toward him, and and I thought about it yesterday afternoon. I mean, I didn't intend to be Nolan Ryan, but but I'm not going to let somebody jerk my chain. I mean, I'm, I'm just not, you know. I feel like at, at some degree or at some level, I'm speaking for you. You don't have a show. You don't have a microphone. I do. And I got to defend your honor and your principles and your values. And the First Amendment is an essential ingredient in the American experience. I mean, it's got to be there. You can't have America without a First Amendment. And what Jeff is basically arguing is if, if, if some opinions are so outlandish and egregious, they shouldn't be allowed in discourse. And I, I just think that's nonsense. I mean, it's not... Josh doesn't have the right to be protected from having his feelings hurt. Josh doesn't have a right to censor people who he finds disgusting or reprehensible. He has a right to turn the channel. He has a right to unfollow and, 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 and you know, uh, what was it, um, unfriend. I mean, he's got every right to do that. Turn the channel. Turn the station. Uh, you know, uh, don't follow anymore. Unfriend that person. I mean, you have every right to that. But but one of the one of the... One of the central elements in America is the right to freely express yourself without fear of consequence. And I think, you know, the left today, and this is where it gets real funky, Rev, the left today believe that if your opinion is not appropriate, your opinion does not deserve to be heard. MSNBC did not show Trump's victory speech in Iowa. 
because they were afraid it would be full of untruths. That's not MSNBC's job. Now, they are an affiliate or a, um, a subsidiary of NBC, so somebody makes that call, but that's an insult to the First Amendment. I mean, remember the media saying, hey, this guy won the Iowa primary, got more votes than anybody else, but we're not going to let our listeners hear what he has to say because we don't like what he has to say. I mean, that's crazy that that's where we've gotten and, and here. The irony in this situation from yesterday with Jeff, to me, is that a week? there's not a week that goes by where I don't hear from somebody why do you let Jeff go on that show? Why do you, you shouldn't let him on there? And, and they think his views are disgusting, you know, to use his word, right? Um, and and they ask me, you know, I was like, well, you know, come on. It's it's an open forum. We've said that all along. His opinions, we may disagree with him, but, I mean, I want to hear him. That's the First Amendment. I mean, that, that's a celebration of the First Amendment. Now, now occasionally we may push back well, just like course. he did yesterday, and, and, well, I mean, and that's the way but, it but is. But he, he called us disgusting right. for allowing – Alex Jones's voice to be heard over over these airwaves. And if Alex Jones called in today, let me ask you this, Josh. Does Alex Jones have a right? Does the First Amendment guarantee Alex Jones the right to say Sandy Hook never happened? Yes. Of course it does. I mean, the absurdity of that. You may find that the most disgusting thing a human being has ever said. You have the right to opine on how disgusting you find what Alex Jones may or may not have said. But I think the, the, the left has gotten itself in, a, in kind of a bizarre place. I mean, it's arrogance is what it is. And, and the arrogance has been unchecked. I mean, the media is a monolith. Academia is a monolith. So, so they're being basically fed that this narrative that your opinion's right and theirs is wrong. And they hear it over and over from every newsroom in America. The left's opinions matter more than the right. So we got to stop. I mean, imagine a guy wins a primary. He's the front runner for the presidency. And a news organization says we're not going to cover his speech because there might be some untruths in there. And we're going to protect the American people from hearing things that aren't true or accurate. I mean, imagine how arrogant you've got to be to believe that your opinion of one person gives you the right to not allow that person to express themselves however freely they may. And I just, that, that's bizarre to me. It's upsetting to me. I mean, it really and truly is that that's where the left in America is today. And I challenge Jeff, and I'll challenge him again. I mean, we, we may play Alex Jones today. I mean, I found the bit I've been looking for. When Tucker basically says, hey, man, how did you make all these predictions? And he explains himself reasonably well. Um, they ask him about 9-11, Josh. You know what he says? I just noticed how much Cheney was talking about fanatical Islam and Osama bin Laden. And I knew that they had tried to blow up the World Trade Center. I mean, he basically said before it happened that at some point in time, fanatical Islam is going to use airplanes to knock down the World Trade Centers. I mean, that's not verbatim, but but that's pretty close. And Tucker said, hey, man, how did you? And he said, well, I mean, the, the, the programming had already begun. I mean, the programming had already begun. The American government was already setting the table for one of these situations to take place and happen. I mean, I find that bizarre. I find that crazy, but Alex Jones deserves to be heard. No matter what he said about Sandy Hook, no matter what he said about 9-11, Alex Jones deserved to be heard, and you decide whether you believe it or not. You decide whether it's nonsense or not. But, but to censor a guy because you find his opinion disgusting is about un-American as anything I can imagine. It is the First Amendment for a reason. And when we stop allowing people to say what they truly, sincerely believe that doesn't cause 
harm. And I'm talking about personal harm or damage to Reb. I mean, I understand the parents, their feelings are hurt. Um, personally, I don't think the lawsuit's legit. I mean, I don't. I mean, I understand it, it's a crazy thing to say. And you, and you add pain and anguish to families who are already suffering pain. And I get that. I understand that. I mean, I wish he'd never said it. But, but to suggest he doesn't have the right to say it? And if he does say it, we're shutting him down? We're censoring? We're not allowing him? I mean, we're going to be the moral authorities that decide whose voice gets to be heard or not? What is more un-American than believing that you have the moral and intellectual authority to decide whose voice gets heard and whose does not? How do you call yourself someone who loves democracy or representative republic or, or a constitutionally abiding government if you stand there? And Jeff made it clear yesterday that that's exactly where he stands. He believes that certain voices should not be allowed to be heard. Certain voices don't have to be taken seriously. Certain voices can be condemned. They can be confronted. We can have argumentative conversations with these voices. But, but I will never, ever, ever disallow someone who believes in something or believes something about something to tell us what they believe. It's un-American. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number, someone's on the phone. Let's go there. DW in Florence. Good morning. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, your chickens won a big one last night, huh? Piece of cake. Piece of cake. <laughs> Beating up on Blue Bloods is what we do. You just whip them all. I hate it, <laughs> You know, uh, as a MSLSD and CNN, you know, that's what they thrive on as misinformation and telling you part of the story and then not letting another person talk and, you know, Trump had his say-so win, and boom, can't talk to him because he's a liar. Well, real quick, you know, a really wise man told me one time, takes two fools to argue, don't be one of them. And he told me that because, you know, even when you get to a place and they start coming back at you, say, look, I can disagree with you. Sorry we don't agree on you, but I'm not going to argue with you. Um, what you did yesterday, you stood up for what you believe, just like he was throwing out what he believes. You know, it, we're in a messed up place right now in this world, so – Good gosh, I don't know how you do it sometimes. I would, uh, you know, want to run off and blow him up. But, uh, you know, he's got an opinion, too, and I don't know him. He might be a great guy, and I, and I don't hold any animosity against him whatsoever, but I ain't arguing with a fool, and that's in my opinion. So you guys have a great day. Um, go Tigers. You guys uh, beat the Kentucky boys. Good luck to you. Have a good year. Thank good you, day. D.W. Appreciate that. <laughs> got, got a minute and a half or so here. Let's go to our next call. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. The uh, the thing about the progressives, and you can tell they're progressives, it's not that you can't disagree with them. You have to agree with them. You know, if you, you don't totally agree with them, then you're not able to express your opinion. If that was the case, Westboro Baptist Church would be shut down. I mean, they go out and they protest against every military and, that offends me personally, but I'd be the first one there to defend their right to do it. I mean, they call military baby killers and everything else. But like my father used to tell me, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open it and let them know you're a fool. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. I found uh, the bit. We played some random um, conversation between Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones yesterday 
Yeah, I just find it. We were talking about conspiracy theories, and we're talking about extreme conspiracy theories. And the most extreme conspiracy theory that I've heard, and I think Josh concurred, was Alex Jones saying Sandy Hook didn't happen. I mean, that's out there. That that's real extreme conspiracy theory. I don't think it's an extreme conspiracy theory to believe that the the Wuhan virus began or originated in a lab. I mean, I don't think, maybe the media tried to convince you that's some extreme conspiracy theory. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously a conspiracy theory to believe they try to cover it up. But I think when you believe, I think the extreme example of the conspiracy theory relating to that is some people believe that they intentionally leaked it, they intentionally infected a Chinese person, and they intentionally put that person on a plane and sent them to LAX and LaGuardia. I mean, not, you know, that there, there were several Chinese that were intentionally infected. Once again, to me personally, that's an extreme conspiracy theory. Maybe I want to have more faith in humanity than humanity deserves. Maybe I'm saying to myself, I know they may have let it leak, man, but I don't believe they would have intentionally infected somebody, put them on a plane and sent them to their geopolitical adversary. Maybe I'm naive. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but, but I try to wake up every day having some degree of belief in humanity in general. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Day after the New Hampshire primary. A lot of spinning going on, but the reality is another double-digit win for Donald Trump. Haley said she wanted a two-person race. New Hampshire suits her better than any state in America with about 91% reporting. Trump's at 55. Nikki's at 43. It's over. I mean, it's over. There's not a viable Republican candidate not named Donald Trump. Let's go to the phone. Charles and Lamar, good morning. Good morning. I got a couple of things on my mind this morning. First of all, in the Southern Farm Report this morning, I don't know if y'all listened to those things or not, but Mike Davis, who was a disc jockey on WSOC in Charlotte for many, many years that hosts that show, interviewed a guy named Rolo Tomasi, or at least that's what it sounded like to me. Y'all remember that name from somewhere? That was Kevin Spacey's uh, code name in L.A. Confidential from 40 (laughs) years ago. Really? I heard that. I said, Lord have mercy. Somebody's done killed a man, and that's given that that code name. Um, Alex Jones is out there, okay? He is – what he says is so far removed from my thought process that I think he is just completely illegitimate by the same token. I feel that way at least once a week listening to Jeff call in. I don't think you need to censor either one of them. Um, I think he did a good job yesterday, although I didn't get to hear it live. I heard the uh, the replay of it. Uh, Mark Twain said one time, never argue with an idiot. He'll simply drag you down to his level and beat you with experience. So, uh, uh, but anyway, I think you, you, you did a great job with that. I want to throw out one thing about Nikki Haley. You mentioned that I think 27% was the number that you used of the voters were either Demo- Democrats or independents who voted for her in New Hampshire based on uh, exit polling. Those people had to re-register as a Republican in order to vote for her in the Republican primary. On February 24th, all those people have to do is walk in the polling place and say, I want to vote in the Republican primary. What are the, what are the chances of a Democratic uh, strategy 
to get Democrats and independents to vote for Nikki Haley in the Republican primary when it comes up on the 24th. All I got to do is walk in and say, this is what I want to do. Anyway, that's kind of what I had on my mind today. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Charles. I mean, and, and there'll be more postmortem to be done, and, and we'll do the best we can. But about 70% of Nikki's vote was not Republican. Now, we, we can debate what percentage of that non-Republican vote was independent. What percentage was Democrat? I don't know, but I did look at a number I found interesting. 26%. The exit poll shows that 26% of the people who voted in the Republican primary believe the economy is doing good. They're Democrats. But that's Democrat imposters voting in the Republican primary. Haley got 85% of that 26 or 7%. But that, that's the best way I could extrapolate. you got to dig in the weeds a little bit. Um, once again, 70% of her vote were either independent or Democrat. we we got to guess on how many were independents and how many were, were Democrats. But when I looked at that number, 27% of all people who voted said the economy's doing good. Nikki got 85% of that 27%. That's Democrats. But that's a large number of Democrats voting for Nikki Haley in a Republican primary, you kind of got to ask yourself, if they believe they can beat Trump, why are they doing everything they can in New Hampshire to make sure Trump's not the nominee? I mean, if Trump's the guy you want to run against, it would stand to reason that Republicans, or excuse me, Democrats register as Republicans and vote for Trump, not for the person running against Donald Trump. Let's go to the phone. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I hear you guys fine. I was having a problem here in uh, here in Josh um, when he, I was talking to him. But anyway, Josh, I hear the guys fine. Listen, I want to take a little exception with something you said earlier. You said uh, everybody has a right to be heard. And I remember Al Rushbow used to say that the Constitution guarantees us the right to speech, but not necessarily the right to be heard. And all he meant by that is, um, everybody that hasn't earned the right to have a platform. I'm not saying you should uh, 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 censor Jeff or Williams from down here in Orangeburg. Anything like that. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying uh, the right to speak is, is one thing. But you have people that feel like their voice has to be heard. Um, they can start their radio station. They can, they can invest money and start a radio station. Whoever wants to hear it can, can listen, just like people listen to your show. Again, I'm not saying censor them, but I just think there's a difference between the right to speak and the right to be heard. Now, everybody, you don't have a right to be heard. You can say what you want. You have a right to believe you have a right to be heard. Well, I guess so. But you, you don't have, you're not guaranteed a platform of multimedia um, access. You know, go on Facebook and, and get a bunch of friends and tell them what you think. Again, I'm not suggesting you censor them. I'm just saying the right to speech and, and the guaranteed right to be heard at the level you want to be heard, uh, it's, it's not guaranteed. Um, so that, that was the only exception. I, I had what you said. It, it is a minor thing. We, me and you ain't going to dust up over that, buddy. Yeah, we're splitting hairs. Now, thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate <laughs> And the truth that. is, we, we didn't have to play Alex Jones yesterday, and we don't ever have to let Jeff get on the air. We, we were to. using Alex Jones as an example to show that there are people out there with extreme conspiracy theories. Right. Alex Jones, I mean, I think Charles said that Alex Jones is out there. I mean, the majority of Americans believe that Alex Jones is out there. Guess what, Josh? Alex Jones has a right to be out there. 
And Ali Jones has a right to speak freely. And if a certain universe of Americans believe that what he says is interesting, they'll listen. And if they don't, they won't. But that's the marketplace of speech, the marketplace of ideas. I understand what Boudreaux is saying. I think we have a, a responsibility to be civil. But I don't think, I don't think the, the world should insulate itself from controversy or chaos or confusion. I mean, I'm one of these people who believe we don't have enough of that. I mean, we conform too much. We need to let some of these outlandish voices be heard and decide what you believe and what you don't believe. But we went down the road with Alex Jones because we were talking about extreme conspiracy theories. We were talking about the Wuhan virology lab. There was a moment in time you were a conspiracy theorist if you believed it was a lab leak. That's not quite a conspiracy theory anymore. In fact, the evidence backs up that predetermined conspiracy theory from four years ago. Now, I think it's a conspiracy theory to believe that it, it was an intentional lab leak. People were intentionally infected, intentionally put on airplanes, and intentionally sent to geopolitical adversaries like America and Germany and Italy and some of these other Western um, countries. Maybe I'm naive, but to me, that's, a, that's an extreme example of where a conspiracy theory can go. Speaking of Alex Jones, Joshua, we in Q, this is particular to what we're, what we're talking about, predictions. I mean, some people, I mean, if you make a prediction and it's bizarre and it's out there, it's going to be deemed a conspiracy theorist or a theory. And you know how those nuts are, but they say these crazy things to gain attention. I'll agree with Charles. Alex Jones is out there. <laughs> but some of what he says, I'm telling you guys, some of what he says comes to pass. You ready, Josh? Not its loves, not its hopes, but by its hatreds. They hate all kinds of people, large groups of people, the deplorables, the bitter clingers, America's entire blue-collar population, the unfashionable people. They're hated by the people who run our country. But no one is hated more by them than a man called Alex Jones. Alex Jones is the single most censored man in all American history. He was the first media figure in our history to be completely erased in one day, deplatformed. Alex Jones was deplatformed before it was a common term. And not just deplatformed, sued, attacked. They attempted to criminally charge him. What did Alex Jones do wrong? Alex Jones didn't rape anybody. He didn't loot Macy's. He didn't burn a police station. He didn't invent a fake cryptocurrency and loot pension funds. He didn't start a pointless war that made this country poorer and more disorganized. He didn't open the southern border. No, Alex Jones had opinions that deeply rattled the people who run America. In fact, rattled a lot of us. And I'll just confess that I first heard of Alex Jones when he questioned the official story behind 9-11. And I, speaking for myself, was deeply offended by this. I didn't take any time to find out what he was saying, but I was bothered by the idea that this defining event in American history, which changed the life of everyone who lived here then, might not actually have unfolded as we were told it did. And that possibility was too destabilizing. And I remember feeling resentment toward Alex Jones for saying that. But several years later, I wound up in Austin, Texas, and through a chain of circumstances, wound up meeting Alex Jones. And I learned what everyone who has met him now knows, which is Alex Jones is not a crazy person. 
Alex Jones has said pretty far out things on TV from time to time. Not that far out. He hasn't said men can become women or Ukraine is a democracy, but within the bounds of, say, cable news, pretty far out. But fundamentally, Alex Jones is right about a lot of things. And in fact, that's why they don't like him. Alex Jones has an uncanny, really an amazing ability to predict events before they happen. He has called it and he's done it on tape again and again to the point where it's a meme on the internet. Alex Jones profit, not conspiracy nut, profit. But when you dig into Alex Jones's predictions, they are so spot on that it's remarkable. How does he do this? We're guessing there's a kind of spiritual sensitivity to Alex Jones, maybe that's his secret. He was displaying this years before the average person in this country even thought about matters like that. Now it's pretty obvious to most people that, that the, the current war going on in this country is taking place in ways you can't see it most of the time. But 10 years ago, people were not thinking that way. Alex Jones was. And so we thought it'd be interesting to sit down and talk to Alex Jones, the man. He joins us now in our studio. Alex Jones, thank you. Wow, Tucker, it's great to be here. Amazing studios, amazing, <laughs> I mean it, amazing people. And uh, this is this is uh, really going to be, I think, a historic interview. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm really grateful to be able to do it. And, and it's just, it's one of the great blessings of my life and of my job is that I've been able to meet people that I've had preconceptions about and sometimes find those preconceptions uh, <laughs> bolstered and in other cases demolished. And you're definitely in the second category. So I want, for people who've made it this far, you know, the people around the country have really succeeded in making you disreputable. And the whole point, of course, is people won't listen to you. So we thought it'd be interesting to start with a series of on-tape predictions that you made, some of which are so precise and so prescient that it makes the hair on my arms stand up. And I'm being sincere, and our viewers are about to, about to see what I'm talking about. Here is a list of things that you called ahead of time. By the middle of September, that the new policy's being written, you will all have to wear masks again and show will airport employees. It's happening. Mask mandates are officially back. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun, or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s. This group and its leader, person named Osama bin Laden. He's the boogeyman they need. We're looking at a giant war in February right now. I predict the Russians are going to roll in. They're already there. They're going to roll in. With attacks across Ukraine, which is the size of Texas. It really was the Iraqis. That's just because they're getting ready to invade Iraq. What a beautiful setup. Uh, those 9-11 clips are crazy. I'm actually bothered by the precision of them. I'm not accusing you of being behind 9-11. But how could you, in July of 2001, call that? You said they're going to have airliners fly into the World Trade Center and they're going to blame a guy come all, some, called Osama bin Laden. Now, leaving aside what actually happened, what, how could you have known that? Well, in, in the longer clip, because it's a multi-hour show from July 25th, 2001, uh, I specifically walked through all the reasons and I knew that they were hyping up that we were about to be hit by Osama bin Laden. I knew that the World Trade Center had been attacked the first time and that the feds been involved helping cook the bomb and allowing it to go forward. And I just saw a lot of the pre-programming uh, that was happening uh, in the media because they were on the news saying, you know, well, life's about to change in America. And I was reading what the Rand Corporation was saying and what the Pentagon was putting out. And I read the PNAC document uh, from a year before, Rebuilding America's Defenses, that Dick Cheney uh, had helped write. And it said, we need a Pearl Harbor event on the American homeland. 
to be able to bring in this police state and, and, and this control and then expand the American empire worldwide. So hundreds of pieces of data, <coughs> hundreds of pieces of data went into that prediction. But terrorists are going to hit the World Trade Center in July of 2001. I lived in the United States then. That was the last thing on my mind. And I lived in Washington. I know the guys who wrote the PNAC document because I shared an office with them. So I, I was more informed than the average person. And that was the last thing that crossed my mind in the summer of 2001. Like everyone else, I thought it was a Cessna. But how convinced were you that, that this was going to happen? I was completely convinced. In fact, in, in the full clip that's online, you can find it on Twitter and other places that has been removed. I explained to people that they need to call the White House and, and tell the White House, we know if you allow these attacks uh, that uh, you're basically allowing it to happen. And it was similar to all the data we had when well, I- Well, you said that on, on your show? On my show. And I gave the number out so people could actually call the White House. And, and then going back to October of last year, uh, when the uh, Russians uh, went into Ukraine, I specifically said, I think they'll, they'll go in by the end of February. Uh, and there was a lot of data that went into that. And then they specifically did go in uh, on February 24th. And so I was able to make that prediction as well. But it, there was a lot of data and information that went into it. Sure. I, I'm just, for the record, I miscalled that completely. I didn't think they were going to do it. You were right. I was wrong, not for the first time. But the 9-11 thing, I remember that really well. Nobody was thinking like that. So you called it in public on tape. Did the 9-11 commission, so if I'm the FBI and I'm investigating 9-11, you're like the first guy I would call because you're the only person who said that out loud. Did they call you? No, no, they didn't. But my most accurate prediction going back over a decade was when I read the Rockefeller Foundation, Operation Lockstep, uh, and they described using a virus to bring in world government, to bring in a world medical ID that they would then build the social credit score off of and that they would make people wear masks for fear, that they would shut down sporting events and things like that, and basically phase in this new tyranny. So I was also able to specifically um, make that prediction over and over and over again, because I was going off their own battle plans. Are you the only person in media who actually reads these reports? I don't think a lot of people do read them, but I do read them. I mean, I'm currently reading MIT reports from their top councils, Pentagon, uh, reports. They have a working group called the Mad Scientist Group uh, at the Pentagon that works with MIT. And if you go watch their hour-long, two-hour-long, uh, three-hour-long meetings they have on YouTube uh, with all the top, I mean, we're talking hundreds of top scientists, they admit uh, that they're building a post-human world, uh, that soon everyone's going to be mind-controlled, uh, that they're going to put smart dust in our food, that they can electromagnetically control and, it, and they, they just lay it all out right there. And I've learned what these people said in the 50s they would do were done by the 70s. What they said their plan was in the, in the, uh, the 70s for the 90s, they got done. And then when they had their Agenda 21 in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, the big UN summit, they described everything they would do up until the year 2000, and they got almost all of that done. And now they've got Agenda 2030, and we're going to ban your gas stoves, we're going to ban beef, we're going to ban single-family dwellings, uh, we're going to ban private ownership of cars, we're going to do all this, and, and now you see them rolling it all out. So I'm not really making predictions in these high-level World Economic Forum and other large think tanks. I want to be crystal clear. I'm not suggesting to listen to everything Alex Jones says and believe that's what you need to build your life upon. I am suggesting that he deserves to be heard. I mean, that, that's my point about censorship and, and, and who gets to play, who gets to, 
you know, who gets to play at recess? Who gets to speak? Who gets to be who gets to be heard? I asked Rev kind of an interesting question. I mean, I think we we got to Josh made a valid point. He thinks Alex Jones is a guy that throws a handful of crap against the wall every day and something sticks. I mean, something sticks. But but I also said, "Okay, Josh, let's say the guy throws a handful of stuff against the wall every day and something sticks." The handful he throws against the wall is well studied. I mean, he says that. I don't know why these people don't read these reports. I mean, the cathedral basically tells you what they're going to do when they have these summits and they have these seminars and they have these these guys, the Davos crowd. I mean, he would read the minutes from Davos, I would imagine. He'll read some of the Rand reports, some of the other reports he's talking about reading. Tucker says, you know, I was in the office when they wrote that that report. What Alex Jones is basically arguing is, I'm not some superhuman. I mean, I'm not some psychic. I'm not some, I don't have some, some mystical power. I have the ability to read and research. And when I read and research, I conclude that the powerful people who run the world have plans and they orchestrate these plans and they follow through with these plans. And my predictions are not based on some dream I have or some vision that God gives me, but rather my interpretation of what the cathedral says they like the world to look like 20 years from now. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, you are on. Good morning. Okay, so you listen to Alex Jones there, and you see that he is uh, obviously very smart and obviously does a lot of research. So while it doesn't make sense, you heard me say this before, it doesn't make sense that a person like that would say that Sandy Hook never happened. Why did he say that when I'm pretty dang sure that he didn't believe what he said? I don't think he believed that. Why would he say something that off the wall? Now, what I will tell you is this, that I know this to be true in my heart, and as I think it's a fact. Every time you have a Sandy Hook where some white kid kills other kids at the school, the cathedral couldn't be happier, and neither could the Democrats. Every time that happens, that just builds their case for them to take away all of our goods so everybody would be defenseless against them. That is a fact. So so my question would be, is the cathedral and the Democrat Party doing anything to encourage or manipulate mentally? This is a conspiracy theory. uh, To manipulate the minds of some of these young boys that are easily manipulated to do these type of things. But, you know, when I was wrestling, I was hung out with Jesse the body a lot, and he uh, got to know him. And he used to say that life is nothing but one thing, one thing is wrestling. Everybody's trying to get over. They're either trying to get heat or they either trying to get over as a heel or a good guy. And, all, and that's kind of sometimes you look at this stuff and you wonder, are people just trying to get any, any kind of pub is good pub? So maybe you and Jeff need to have a loser lose tile match, kid. You know, you invite him over there and, you know, and stage the whole thing and you know, you all can body slam each other over the things there. And then, you know, you'd be getting over. I think at the end of the day, people call in here to get over. You're trying to get over. Everybody, you know what I mean by getting over? Oh, sure <laughs> I do. To, yeah, you're trying, everybody's trying to get over. The politicians are trying to get over. And while we're all trying to get over each other, the cathedral is daggone doing just what Alex Jones said. They're planning things in 1970, and 
1990. And if what he's talking about that they're planning right now, which is basically just what we were talking about, when you don't need about half the population of the world, well, I got sons, and so do you. That's pretty dang scary. And what he said about them doing all of those things to control us, my minds will be basically controlled by the cathedrals and all supercomputer, you know, where they put these things in our brains where we, where they, I mean, we'll be, we'll be robots. What they're wanting to do is create human robots that obey and do everything that the cathedral has said. And you know what? I can, I can get over what he said about Sandy Hook, but he's right about all that other stuff. But my real question is, Ken, it don't make sense for him to say it, does it? It doesn't make any sense. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. So, so let's ask this question. I mean, let's go down this road. Can society be left to its own volition? Can six or seven billion people inhabit planet Earth and somebody smarter than we not come up with a 20, 30, 40, 50 year plan? I mean, when Alex Jones says, you know, well, they, they gather and they, you know, they set policy and they set some of the. I read a lot. A lot of what I'm reading today is about depopulation because I'm concerned about that. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a freak out and I'm a wig out and probably lose listeners when I say this. But I believe that there are academics and members of intelligentsia that are looking at the world 50 years from now saying there's not going to be anything for people to do. I mean, automation, robotics, technology, AI is going to take the play. In other words, we're going to have a workforce dominated by AI, automation, technology, robotics. We can't pay these people to do nothing. So let's not have as many people. I mean, if, if, the, if the world is going to be run by technology and robotics and automation, I'm not saying every human being will be unemployed. But, but I believe, and I've read a lot about this, and I'm talking about th- these are academics, these are, are business-minded or business-oriented people. They believe that 50 years from now, there will be 9 billion people on the planet and an economy that, you know, I'm talking about wages and, and work and productivity and whatnot. We're going to have so much of that done. In other words, 50 years ago, we needed this many human beings to make the workforce go, to make the economy sustain. If we incorporate as much AI and technology and robotics and automation as I think we will, what are all these millions of people going to do? So the best thing to do is begin kind of the depopulation. Rev's looking at me like, damn, dude, you're really <laughs> freaking me out now. No, I mean, th- there are serious discussions, but they don't invite me and they're not going to invite anybody they perceive to be destabilizing. That's the concern with Trump, guys. Trump is a modification of, um, of Alex Jones. They've got these plans and they believe the plans are in all of our best interest. I mean, they're going to be self-advantaged, but I mean, they believe that the plans are in all of our best interest. I mean, you can't trust all these people to understand what the world is going to be like 50 years from now. But they don't like destabilizing forces. They don't like Tucker. They don't like Alex Jones. They don't like Trump. You can't control those people. You can't force them to do what you need them to do to make sure things happen the way you need and are trying to organize them to happen. That's out there. I mean, that's out there. But but I, I'm, I'm man enough to admit, I believe a lot of that. I mean, I absolutely buy in to a lot of that. Take a break. Back in a few. 
843-661-0937 is our number. <laughs> All right. You're kind of freaking me out this morning. Okay. Explain. Because well, I don't want to freak you out. Well, I mean, we've kind of gone down that rabbit hole of conspiracies and stuff. But I thought of something when you were talking about uh, when you, during the last segment. Didn't one of the guys at Davos last week talk about there too many people? He said, there's too many people. We And I think what he said was, we, whoever we is, we don't need these this many people. Well, I mean, they, they said that about three or four years consecutively, but oh. it's, it's hard for you to book. Okay, what does he mean when he says right. that? And look, I don't have any idea what he means when he says that. I mean, I'm willing to admit, unlike some, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I speculate. I offer conjecture. I have opinions. Josh, Rev, you, we all have opinions. I'm not saying that without a doubt, this is what they're doing. Without a doubt, that's what they're doing. I'm not sure of much of anything in the world. Here's what I do believe that has happened. And, and, I, and I've said this before. The day that we invented or, or, or normalized auto transportation, by that I mean the, the internal combustion engine became efficient and affordable, was a bad day for the blacksmith. The day that we invented the, the commercial airplane, I mean, I'm not talking about the Wright brothers staying airborne for, you know, uh, 37 seconds at Kitty Hawk. I'm not, I'm talking about the day that people could get in a metal tube and fly from point A to point B was a bad day for the train. I mean, that's, that's innovation. That's, uh, that's leading the economy into the future. I believe that the internet and digital media is almost like the invention of the, the car, the train, and the plane simultaneously. And what we've done, Rev, we have decentralized the disseminating of information. I mean, in, in, in all of our lives, Josh would be different. In mine and your life, the majority of our youth was spent believing that these two or three people who told you what was going in the world were trustworthy. And all of a sudden, Joe Rogan has a podcast, and Tucker Carlson has a podcast, and more people are listening to Tucker, listening to Rogan, listening to the interviews. Alex Jones has a huge following in InfoWars. Talk radio would be another element. And we are nonconformist. We look for things to be skeptical about. I mean, by nature, I think people like me gravitate to this business. I don't want to buy what the, what, what the establishment is selling. I, I don't want to fall in line. I, I don't want to do the orderly thing. I want to be, I mean, there's something inside of me that wants to doubt what they're telling me. Tucker would be that case. I mean, Tucker lost his job. I mean, an unbelievably good job. One of the best jobs in media. I mean, the 8 o'clock time slot on Fox. But Tucker would not conform. And and, and I, I just believe that the, the loudest voices in digital media since the decentralization of news have liberated people who feel like they do. I mean, if Rev believed that some of these folks gather in Davos and they're trying to build a world and they're, they're, they consider themselves the humanity hierarchy and they believe they're entitled to make all these calls and decisions, and, but nobody talked about it. I mean, CBS, ABC, NBC, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I mean, that, the narrative would have been what Davos wanted the narrative to be. Well, all of a sudden, we've got rogue reporters. We've got websites. We've got... Twitter, we've got Elon Musk liberating, you know, free speech and people who are disruptive, nonconformists are allowed to have a voice and it's hard to control things. It's hard to control the narrative. I believe that the reason the establishment has lost its legitimacy is they've lost control of the news. They've lost control of the media narrative. 
They can't tell Elon Musk what to allow or not on Twitter. They can't tell um, talk radio what to say or not say. And I think we push the envelope. And I think we enjoy pushing the envelope because we are by our very nature unwilling to obligate ourselves to the social norms that the people in charge say are required. We end up in tussles. I mean, we do. We end up in bad places at times. We end up kind of, um, uh, I mean, remember Limbaugh and some of the ads? I mean, they were always after him boycotting ads. We've had examples of that here. I mean, in our local economy, I won't share names. There are two businesses that support our show that have had letters from New York City about, hey, if you don't stop advertising on that show, we're coming after you. Why? Because they don't conform. They don't, you know, quote the company line. I think there's beauty in that, but I do believe that, that you know, Alex Jones is out there. There is no doubt about it. I'm not trying to legitimize or normalize things he says, but, but to suggest that he doesn't deserve to have a voice is just downright un-American. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence. Morning, Joe. Good morning, guys. Uh, I, I guess it's always been about uh, survival of the fittest, and uh, digital is just the latest uh, issue to fight. But but I wanted to kind of support uh, a reason for someone like Alex Jones by referencing some of my life's research. My, my research is on creativity and um, the success behind things like brainstorming has to do with uh, getting diverse opinions. So if you have a problem that you cannot solve, that's the reason you get together and you brainstorm that problem. And some of the important conditions for brainstorming is having a very diverse and eclectic group of people. You're not supposed to have a similar group of people attacking the problem. And you're supposed to defer judgment. You're supposed to really not comment on possible ideas or solutions until you're done. It's called divergent thinking. Everybody gets all their wild and crazy ideas on the wall. And then once you're done, once you can come up with no more ideas, then you start to evaluate them and see if they're, they're possible. And so I think without ideas like Alex Jones or people like him, you're just going to come up with the same old solutions to new problems, which is, you know, one of the definitions of insanity. And if I could just take a minute, I want to give you one of the classic examples of brainstorming. Um, there was a time when, you know, fish is brain food, right? And kids don't like fish. Well, there was a time when nutritionists were getting together and saying, how can we get kids to eat more fish? Let's get together and brainstorm this problem. Well, in the wild and crazy brainstorming session, they came up with an idea that since kids like ice cream, let's come up with fish-flavored ice cream. And that became a horrible idea, okay? But in coming up with tuna-flavored ice cream, which no one would eat, they realized that the secret to fish is in the omega-3, 6, and 9 uh, essential fatty acids. And then they also found out that if you, if you have wheat germ or flaxseed, you can get those same omegas. And if you toast wheat germ and flaxseed, it doesn't taste so awful bad when you put it as an ice cream topping or mix in. And so that's the classic example of the worst idea in the world could help generate what turned out to be a good idea to solve the basic problem. 
So if brainstorming is analogous to media, uh, you know, then we really need the off the wall Alex, uh, Alex Joneses for for the more common sensible people to come up with answers that are workable. So I just thought I'd share that with y'all. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Interesting comment from a caller. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. J.N. Nichols. Hello. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, your last guy was talking about uh, population control. Don't you think the COVID might have been their first shot at it? I mean... We were paying for gain-of-function research, which is basically making a designer virus. Uh, we designed a virus that mortality rate was high for our pensioners and people with comorbidities, which cut your Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid prices. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. I mean, obviously it changed some of the models when a higher number of older people passed away prematurely. I mean, it, well, I mean, I, I looked at some of the, some of the actuaries suggested that social security was going to be insolvent by 2035. When COVID hit, they changed the number, the models changed to 2037 because a, a, a higher number of seniors or people over the age of 65 almost eligible to collect Social Security and Medicare, and in some cases already collecting. But when they pass away, obviously that's fewer people that receive the benefit. I'm careful about, I think I am, I mean, maybe I'm not. I'm careful about being sure of things that I don't understand. The reason I'm talking about depopulation, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that if we're adding people to the population total in the planet, and AI, technology, automation, robotics are going to replace some degree of human labor. I, mean, I understand that. I mean, I think anybody can understand that. Uh, I'm not saying we don't innovate another part of the economy. We don't add jobs to another part of the economy. We need programmers and software designers. I mean, I understand that. But in theory, I get the depopulation argument. I mean, if, we're, if we've got X number of people on the planet and we've got X number of jobs for people to do and be paid on the planet. And we're adding people to the planet, but we're replacing human intensive jobs with AI, automation, technology, and robotics. I mean, I'm sure I understand that. Now, to what degree? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I don't have a formula here that says, you know, by the year 2037, AI will have replaced this many jobs and automation will have replaced that many jobs. Um, I'm sure there's a, a growth sector of the economy that I'm not considering. I mean, there's something out there. there. It may be Mars space travel. I don't know. I mean, there, there's something out there that I'm not accounting for because I can't. I, I don't know. Um, a lot of what Alex Jones does is, is, I think Josh is saying this, he makes profound estimations all the time, and some come true. Some half of the way he said they were going to happen. Well, if you make informed estimations every single moment of your life, it's inevitable that you get something right sooner or later. My point has never been the accuracy of Alex Jones. My point has been the ability for him to speak. 
and the ability for him to have a platform. You choose whether you want to hear what he has to say or not. That's America, isn't it? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. And, and I'm telling you, this plays into, I mean, someone could say, well, I mean, the day after the New Hampshire primary, and these guys are talking about Alex Jones, the conspiracy theories. It's, it's much more than conspiracy theories, guys. It is destabilizing voices in controlling the narrative. Tucker destabilizes the status quo. Alex Jones, in a less mainstream way, he'd be more niche than Tucker. He'd be more niche than Bongino, more niche than Clay Travis, more niche than Newsmax. Um, but they destabilize the narrative. And the last thing people in charge, people have amassed enormous amounts of it. And this is the conspiracy, guys. I mean, who doesn't believe this? That powerful people like to remain in power. Wealthy people like to remain wealthy. In fact, they want to get wealthier. Uh, influential people enjoy the ability to influence. I mean, that's as old as time. Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King says, that's good enough for me. I don't want to rule everything. That ain't how the song goes. Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. That's human nature. Human beings wake up every single day in self-preservation mode. How, do, how does Josh make his life better? How does Rev make his life better? How does Ken make his life better? Now, the majority of us do that in concert with our fellow man. I mean, we do. I think Rev does that. I think Josh does that. I know I do that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, Ken's number one. Ken and his family are his priority. Rev and his family, I mean, I hate they're going through this. And if I have the ability to help, I will. If I don't, I can't. So, I mean, that's just the way we are. I mean, that's not wealthy people, poor people, black people, white people. There are very few Mother Teresas in the world. The majority of us wake up every day figuring out a way to, as, 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 as uh, Bree said, get over. And that means get to a little better place today than it was yesterday, get to a little better place tomorrow. So it shouldn't, I mean, it's not a conspiracy to suggest that powerful people like to remain powerful, influential people like to remain influential, and the wealthy people like to remain wealthy. Well, if you built a machine and you're in control of that machine, the last thing you want, Rev, are these, stable, these destabilizing forces, these nonconformists, uh, th- these people who you can't tell to get in line. It's a little bit like, remember the, um, the bit that Steve Jobs quoted toward the end of his life, the crazy ones? I mean, now would probably be a good time to play that. You know, the crazy ones change the world. And I think the majority of Americans today believe that government's broken. It's not sincerely and as a priority considering its interest, and something needs to change that. Well, I mean, do you believe you can change that with a conformist and somebody who goes along and gets along? I mean, if you believe as a Republican that we need to change the way government functions and operates, I mean, you got a choice between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. I mean, why do they fear Trump? Why do powerful people fear Trump? Because they know he is a destabilizing force and has the kind of the will of the voter in his, in his favor. So th- that's not a conspiracy theory. That There was a day that probably would have been. So you mean, I mean, Walter Cronkite could have looked at his audience and said, so you mean to tell me you think the government's up to no good? They control the narrative. We became sheep. At some point in the last 15 or 20 years, we woke up and said, wow, this big bad government doesn't always look after me. In fact, at times it looks after foreign nations more than it does us. 
We're worried more about the Ukrainian-Russian border than we are our southern border. I mean, those aren't conspiracy theories. And people aren't stupid but for so long. I mean, even the dumbest amongst us eventually figure out they're getting screwed. Maybe the line of the year. Because <laughs> I can relate to that. Even the dumbest amongst us at some point in time realize they're getting screwed. And that's where we are. The dumbest amongst us have realized they're getting screwed. And they want to destabilize that system that they believe has screwed them. And here we are. Let's or, go to the, or at least stop getting screwed. Yeah. Go to the phone. Clayton in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes, hey, I, I agree with your theories on the whole scenario of the depopulation. My only concern there is the fact that are these people actually thinking about the fact that they're going to lose demand for a lot of the things that they are providing that are causing them their wealth. Um, on the other side of it, your comments about listening to people. I believe we need to listen to everybody because if you don't listen to your enemy speak, you don't know what they're planning. So if you can't take the time and listen to everybody, you're endangering yourself for being naive about this. Um, I listened to Levin the other night talk about how he won't even listen to Nikki Haley's speeches. But well, why won't he listen to her speeches? He might hear what she's saying and understand that, you know, something she wants is good and something she wants is bad. I don't believe that, you know, everything anyone says is good. Trump or Haley or definitely not the Biden administration. But I believe you have to listen to everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that. How do you get to a better place if you don't? I mean, if, if 90% of the media are, are liberal and 90% of the media believe that Biden is doing a better job or will do a better job than Trump, how do we honestly have a genuinely informed debate about who the president needs to be? That's the, where the decentralized media has become such a destabilizer. That's kind of the word of the day. And the reason the donors and the insiders are supporting Haley and Biden they know they're not destabilizers. They know that they'll kind of go along and get along. Trump may or may not. That's the concern. I've heard a lot of people say, well, Trump didn't do anything. People believe he may. I mean, that, that's threat enough. I mean, if people don't believe they can control you, they become genuinely concerned about you. And Trump is old and wealthy. I mean, he's not as old as Biden. He's wealthier than Biden. But, but old, wealthy people tend to walk to the beat of their own drum. They tend to be able to celebrate nonconformity more than most. The majority of us live in a transactional world. I do. We got sponsors. I have to consider the sponsors. But I'd like to believe that the sponsors would celebrate or, or have an interest in allowing intense but genuine conversations about issues that matter. Jeff and I had a very passionate disagreement yesterday. I don't, I mean, I, I've moved on. I think Jeff has moved on. I mean, I don't know that. Uh, he hadn't been to the station yet with a gun. I mean, I think he's okay with what we discussed yesterday. But how does America get to a better place if we all conform, if we all fall in line, if we all become, you know, kind of monkey see, monkey do? Well, I mean, Josh did it. Rev did it. I think it's probably the right thing for me to do. We need people at times standing up saying, no, I mean, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. We need Alex Jones saying that the government may be responsible for 9-11. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, we need a voice saying things far out of the mainstream, and we need to scratch our heads. We need to wonder, is that, is he a, Alex Jones would be this, and I think Josh would agree. We talked during the break. 
Alex Jones is, a, is somewhat of a nut. But Alex Jones isn't dumb. And I think to consider what Alex Jones says as dumb is your mistake. Alex Jones says some nutty things. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But they come from a, an informed perspective. How many people do you believe have read more about our federal government than Alex Jones? 1%? I mean, he would be in the top one half of 1%. I mean, okay, let, let's say he's got nutty opinions. Let's say he's wrong far more than he's right. Let's say he's far out of the mainstream. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but you can't say he doesn't understand what he's saying. I think Breeze makes an interesting point. For Jones to be as well-read as he is, to say that Sandy Hook, I went back and looked during the break. He was charged with defamation. I mean, some of the anxiety and pain and anguish the family suffered as a result of people believing that the kids were actors. They weren't dead. You know, the mom and dad were actors in this big grand scheme of trying to take your guns away. I mean, that was the whole thing he talked about. I mean, this is, uh, this is the precursor to them taking your guns. I mean, if they can convince Americans that all these innocent children are being slaughtered, you'll be more willing to give up your guns. Oh, you're right. I mean, we, we don't need guns. I mean, I mean, if that many, you know, I mean, if I give up my gun and save a young person's life, then I'm willing to give up my gun to save that young person's life. And some lawyer and some judge decided that was defamation. I don't know. I told Red, we're talking about limits on free speech. I mean, there are limits on free speech. You can't slander. You can't defame. But, I mean, th those are laws. I mean, if you choose to slander someone, they can charge you with slander, and they can file a lawsuit, and you can end up paying a lot of money. I mean, there, there are laws on the books. This isn't the wild, wild west. As much as I'd like it to be, this is not the wild, wild west. I love some legal interpretation of how Jones slandered or, or defamed. I mean, he wasn't charged with slander, rather defamation. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the pain and anguish, I guess, the suffering that the parents endured. I mean, it's suffering enough to lose your kid. Wow. I mean, can you imagine the heartbreak and the anxiety a parent suffers when losing a child? And then somebody says, your kid wasn't killed. You're an actor. I mean, I understand how insulting that is. I mean, I understand why you'd want to load your gun and shoot him. But, but legally, I don't understand how that's defamation. I'm not a lawyer. Let's go to the phone. MFR, good morning. Good morning. We spent two days talking about Alex Jones, and you just said part of it. The man doesn't need defending, but he we don't need to keep promulgating something that wasn't actually said. He never got a chance in court to defend himself. What actually had happened was there was a caller that called into his show. that They were the ones that were saying that there were crisis actors and this and that. Jones went back and said, yes, there were some anomalies, and, and he got into that. But he never actually said that. The judge would never let him actually come out and say that during the court case. But the media took it and ran with it, and Breeze is convinced that he said it. You're convinced that he said it. But you can't find a single clip of him actually saying that. You can find the other people saying it. But there were anomalies that day. I bet nobody can remember who the actual shooter was. But his name was named Adam Lanza. But what happened a year before in Aurora, Colorado, was a guy named James Holmes, if I remember correctly. Uh, he was the Joker shooter if everybody remembers. There were some similarities. Both of those guys' dads worked in the government. Now, they never said which agency, but you get the impression that those guys were the Jolly West and the Sydney Godleads 
of the intelligence agencies. And if you don't know who those two guys are, you probably need to go look them up. The CIA called Godly the Black Sorcerer. Jolly West actually caused an elephant to OD on LSD. These guys were playing with mind tricks trying back in the late 60s, early 70s, and it came out during the church hearings. And they were the guys that were responsible for MKUltra, if you know what that is. And, yes, it is real. If you, I mean, it's there. I mean, they had to admit they were playing with people's minds. Can you imagine what they can do today? I mean, there's Havana syndrome. But what's interesting is both of those guys' dads were involved in this kind of stuff. If you look at Lanza's eyes, the dude is clearly crazy. I mean, he's off the charts crazy looking. And, I, I, yes, people really died. Yes, there, you know, there were no crisis actors or anything like that. But Jones couldn't even defend himself in court. But you would think, because of what the media said, that he really said that, which is the most bizarre thing that, that happened. Because nobody even brought it up when he said it. It wasn't until, like, 2017 when they were trying to kick him off YouTube, Facebook, and all the rest of the crap, that they brought it back up. And that was the pretense for getting him off, because he had dispersed, defamed, you know, whatever he did to all these families. Well, if you actually watch the court case, he actually gets up and hugs, I can't remember, Charlotte, whatever her name is, and forgive me for not knowing her name. It was one of the parents, and, and she forgave him because she realized what had happened to him. And But nobody talks about all that part. Everybody just remembers Alex Jones, Sandy Hook. They don't even remember who did it. But the fact of the matter is, it was a caller that called in, not him. He just merely commented, if you go back and listen to the clip, he said, yes, there were some anomalies. There was a training event that was supposed to go on that day, which just like they do at a lot of other schools where there's an active shooter, that was supposed to be going on that day. Here we go. This happens, and, and, and then all of a sudden we have a real one on the same exact day. You have, like I said, the whole thing with Lanza's dad being involved in basically mind control. we we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. John Sununu is on the uh, set at Fox News this morning explaining how 42 beats 55. I don't get that, but I guess um, when you're on the short end of the stick, you – Spend it the best way you know how. Um, donors' money is the mother's milk to politics. Consultants like spending donors' money. So I would imagine, I tweeted this morning, it would be more appropriate for the GOP establishment to take its last breath in South Carolina than New Hampshire. This kind of has a, a revolutionary feel about it <laughs> if the GOP establishment were to take its last breath. Political uh, analyst, host of The Truth Will Set You Free, podcast anthony russo is with us anthony good morning how are you morning i'm actually watching sununu at the same time what is he talking about yeah i, I don't I, I don't understand as, as a former well, as a former politician i understand spin but uh wow spin has its limitations what did you make of last night anthony well, it's a little closer than I think the Trump camp wanted. Uh, you know, I did some interviews yesterday, and I said uh, a win for Haley for her to continue in the race is anything under 15%. A win-win for her is under 10% of a loss, and she was right at that 11 12% area. So, I mean, she had Sununu's backing. Sununu is a pretty popular guy out there in New Hampshire. But at the end of the day, Trump did something that no GOP candidate has done since 1976 by winning Iowa uh, and New Hampshire back-to-back. So I think that's a big deal. So it could go really both ways. And New Hampshire is a weird barometer because of the fact you've got so many 
unregistered voters that get to vote on the Republican side. And you could look at CNN, look no further than CNN's interview last night of a guy going why he voted for Haley, which was essentially a vote against Trump. And they said, if it's Haley versus Biden, who do you vote for? And he still votes for Biden. So I think it's a skewed, skewed result out there. But it did show that that Trump is still in pretty solid control uh, and he's got pretty solid backing on the Republican side. Next is Nevada. That's quirky, a primary and a caucus. Then it's on to South Carolina. We like to say we pick presidents and we, we um, destroy campaigns of people who aren't viable candidates. But, but if you are a, if you're a consultant for the Haley campaign today and you got to call donors and tell them there's a path forward, I mean, what is it? I mean, I, you know, I, I, once again, I like to think I'm pretty decent at this. I can't imagine what I'd call a, you know, somebody who's given to my campaign and ask them for more money when it seems inevitable Trump's going to be the nominee. Um, well, let's be very honest. I don't think she cares about the everyday donor giving $20, $100, or $500 even. She cares about the big money that's coming in. That's why she's still alive. I guarantee you some of that big money touched Sununu. There's no reason why Sununu would butcher his political career the way that he's doing right now if he didn't also receive some of that same funding. Um, so she gets to she gets to do what she's been doing, which is her – backers are the ones that are the never Trump side or really the side that wants to make sure they can manipulate the American uh, political landscape. So they want her to go as long as possible to make sure either she is still has a fighting chance if Trump has more if the legal issues prove to be real uh, or in the end of the at the end of the day, when she bows out, they're going to want to make sure that any of the jabs that she's put in about the Trump campaign can be used in the general election because that big money donors either want Nikki or they want a Democrat. And that's plain and simple. So those big money, the big money donors, they're not going anywhere until she finally hangs her hat. Good deal. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate the update. No problem. Have a great day, guys. And um, I mean, there's, we can get back into, I mean, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because I don't think, I think you can overanalyze. And I don't think there's a lot to analyze there. I mean, I've got notes and I've got statistics and I've talked to Kahaley. I mean, I've done what I needed to do to be prepared, but it's right before your very eyes. I mean, there's never been a Republican candidate running for president who wins New Hampshire and Iowa that doesn't secure the nomination. It's not if, but when. And in the weirdest way, I guess the most demented way imaginable, I'd probably rather see Nikki and the establishment take its last breath in good old South Carolina. I mean, it just has a... Uh, once again, a, a more revolutionary feel about it. I get live free or die, but that's the Yankee version of live free or die. Us Southerners, when we say it, we really mean it. I mean, they put it on T-shirts and coins. I mean, we live it, live free or die. And I believe sincerely that we're going to get a proper sample of what America first is within the GOP. The most telling statistic to me, and, and once again, I try to play chess from time to time and outsmart myself, but I, I looked at some of the exit polling data this morning, and it looks like 70% of Haley's voters were either independents or Democrats. I don't know that you can honestly say, well, I mean, it was this percentage independents and this percentage Democrats, but 27% of all voters believe the economy's solid and sound and in good standing. Those are Democrats. I mean, th- those are de- every one. Of- there ain't a damn Republican in New Hampshire who believes the economy's in good shape. You got to defend your guy. So if you're a Democrat, you say the economy's good because Biden's in the White House and it's his baby. 
I mean, whether he deserves it or not, and, and I, I think the president's like the quarterback. Too much credit when it's good, too much blame when it's not. But the affordability is a big problem in the economy, and Biden wears that. And it's a big burden, and it's a heavy weight. And it may be eventually what causes Trump to become president again. But 27% said the economy's good. Nikki got 85% of that 27%. That leads me to believe that roughly a third of her vote was Democrats. Somewhere in the neighborhood of one-third of every ballot cast for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire in the Republican primary was cast by a Democrat. Um, it's a weird case. I mean, it's, um, I've often said, and you know, the reason we do it this way, here's another, uh, you know, I mean, it's just obvious, but not people that don't pay close attention. We, we got this quirky way so we can make it last longer. Consultants like getting paid. Conservative Inc. is a powerful force within the grand old party. And Conservative Inc. likes Iowa doing it this weird way. They spend $100 million. They like to go to New Hampshire and do it a weird way. It, 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 it makes the campaign last longer. It forces donors to give candidates money that they can spend on just senseless campaigns. Somebody texted me a second ago, how many hungry children could be fed with the money Nikki Haley is going to waste in South Carolina? Well, she wasted money in New Hampshire. I mean, it, th this has always been, guys, when Donald Trump decided to run again, he became the favorite. When Alvin Bragg decided to prosecute Donald Trump, it was inevitable. I mean, that was the day. You can't deny that reality. You can chart and graph and speculate and hypothesize, but the day that Alvin Bragg said, I'll teach Donald Trump a lesson, I mean, we banished him from the political scene, and he's never to become, I mean, he's never to be uh, a candidate again, and Alvin Bragg decided to go after Trump, and the rest, as we say, in Pamplico and Paris, is histoire. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hello, you're on. Well, I think you uh, pretty much reiterated what Anthony had to say there earlier <laughs> in a more understandable way. <laughs> but <laughs> they, uh, they, the fact of the matter is that uh, South Carolina is going to kill the campaign and coronate the the uh, candidate. That's all there is to it, and that's going to be the way it's going to be, for better or worse. But uh, I wanted to go back to you had uh, what I guess uh, Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens. I were there. Uh, you had so many quotes from uh, <laughs> from Mark Twain about fools and arguing with fools. But uh, that that was that that was right good, but. Going back to the conspiracy theories, MK Ultra is not a conspiracy theory. It is a fact. It, they, it's something they they ran. Uh, our government ran from 1952, I think, all the way into the 60s and possibly into the 70s. They uh, and they may still be. They're, they're probably still running it under another name or acronym or whatever. But uh, they, uh, we've got a serious problem in the world as far as you're talking about the Davos people. Those people have uh, pretty much unlimited money, uh, you know, it, what they call, I guess, FU money. And uh, they, they've chosen to uh, invest in this climate change and this uh, green scam and all of that, which benefits them but doesn't benefit much anybody else. Now, at the same time, you've got anywhere from 20% to 30% of the world's people 
heating their homes and and preparing their food, cooking their food with uh, burnt dung, you know, goat droppings and uh, and the like. And that uh, I, I can't uh, that that creates a lot of pollution. I would imagine because an open fire is hardly a a complete combustion of the materials that are put in it, and uh, they, I, I think they they would think about just reducing the world's population to get rid of a, a lot of us if if, if possible because uh, they just view us as uh, useless eaters pretty much. That's, that's thank my you. View. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. It may have been Van Jones. Last night on CNN, I watched a lot of CNN last night, back and forth, basketball games, CNN, Kentucky, and the Gamecocks. One of the Blue Bloods fell at Colonial Life Arena last night to the basketball school of the SEC. I guess we can argue now, Rev, with the basketball school. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Van Jones on CNN. And I don't watch CNN to listen to Van Jones. I mean, I watch CNN to hear what David Axelrod has to say, because I've said before, I think he speaks for Obama. And that's really the only voice that matters in the and the Democrat Party today. He's the equivalent of Trump. And the only difference in Obama, Trump, Trump's running and Obama's not. But they're the dominant forces in either of our political parties. But um, but Van Jones said the problem with Biden is he doesn't inspire. And Van Jones believes that the best campaign Biden can run is him back in the basement and allowing, you ready, labor union bosses and clean energy executives to make the the agenda and platform abundantly clear. And I just, I mean, I, I can't imagine middle-class America, which is a lot of independents. I mean, they, they're not loyal Democrats, not loyal Republicans, but I can't imagine working-class America buying in to what labor union bosses and clean energy executives um, have to say. I will say this before we take a break, Josh. I, I like the Trump victory speech in Iowa better than I did the one in New Hampshire. I mean, he was a little aggravated last night. Trump doesn't sound good when he's aggravated, when he's kind of subtly taking a jab, a little bit humor. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't his worst day. I mean, I'm not saying that, but, but I think a lot of independents want to watch him respond to good and bad days. And yesterday was not a bad day. I mean, the expectation was off the chart. And, um, and, you know, hearing Nikki say, hey, this race isn't over, it's just beginning. I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, that's absolute nonsense. But, but Trump's got to continue the campaign. And knowing him, I mean, I, I don't know him, but I think I know what kind of floats his boat. I think he's going to try to destroy Nikki Haley in South Carolina. I mean, if they intended to spend X number of dollars, I think they'd double the budget. That, that'll be to our benefit. You know, if you run radio stations, yeah. television stations, or print media, or whatever, I mean, a longer campaign is a better campaign in media. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Mark in Branchville, listening to WTQS in Orangeburg this morning. Hi, Mark. Hey, how y'all doing, Ken? Great show as always. Um, you know, we're talking about conspiracy theory. Um, you know, nine billion people in the world is not a not a theory. Um, we don't have enough food to feed that many people at the present time. And I thought, you know, thinking of you, all the double-A batter, all the double-A um, dump beds you made the whole grain, um, that's one of the things that's really a true statement. There's no way how we can't feed them. I mean, that's going to be the biggest problem. I mean, it's not even a theory. It's just it's a fact, you know. 
I don't think anybody's really putting that into perspective. I mean, even though we've got a lot of, um, you know, good grain quality and stuff like that's going up, but um, it's still not going to be enough to, you know, feed that many people. Well, explain. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. I've read a lot about that as well. Some of the food supply uh, must talks a little bit about uh, we're not having enough babies, but we're also not producing enough food. Uh, I don't know the answer to this, but what what percentage of land mass in America can produce food? I mean, cattle and, and corn and beans and weed. And, you know, it's so interesting to me as a country boy. I mean, I, I'm amused. I'm, I'm, I'm just almost infatuated with technology. I don't understand it. I mean, I really don't. You know, th- th- this phone, and we're talking about lithium, or excuse me, um, Pentium and chips and microprocessors. I mean, that's magic to me. I mean, if somebody said explain a microprocessor, it's magic. I- explain a Pentium chip, it's magic. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any idea, man. I mean, how, how does this metal and that natural, I, I don't know. I mean, how, how do you make that store? And, and how do you hook this up? To, I don't have any clue whatsoever. But as a country boy, I understand steel and timber, and food, and land, and and you can bet your bottom dollar that a world with not enough wood, a world with not enough steel, a world with not enough food, a world with not enough productive land, the last of your concerns is technology. I mean, technology has changed our world in unfathomable ways. There is no doubt about it. It doesn't feed you. It doesn't build you a home. It doesn't build a bridge across water. What what I'm saying is the macros of our economy are still bedrocked on certain things. As important as AI and technology and automation and robotics is, it pales in comparison, pales in comparison to wood and steel and food and land. And those are the industries that I grew up celebrating. Those were the industries that I've perceived as being essential to my existence. And if you look at the Industrial Revolution, I mean, obviously, we had a lot of ancillary businesses created around, but it was steel and wood and food that led us to a a, a more civil and prosperous society. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Florence, good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. I've been in and out, Ken, so if I kind of repeat something smells well how dare you do that how dare you not dedicate your entire morning i I know i i I do apologize to the great one but but ken so uh i'm not sure how much everybody's followed the the lake the carrie lake tapes getting leaked where they attempted to pay her off not to run for senate she refused the money I, i can't help but think that that's Kind of what's probably happened with uh, Nikki. Hey, you go do this. Put put yourself in this situation, and uh, you'll turn out just fine on the other side. So I, I get it that we can argue from our point of view why she should get out, why she should stop, why she shouldn't waste the money. But realistically, why should she? From her perspective, what would there ever be any motivation for her to get out? I don't see anything a motivation from her perspective on why she should get out. Thank you, Ken. What should concern us all? You ready for another conspiracy theory? And, and this is, I mean, this is kind of in my wheelhouse. I mean, I think I do understand this. If Nikki is politically motivated and wants a future in American politics, 
coming to South Carolina and losing her home state by 20 to 25 percentage points is the end. I mean, that is the political obituary. You can't do that. I mean, you just cannot and consider yourself a serious candidate the next way around. Now, if she's positioning and jockeying herself and she's somewhat of a martyr for the donor class, okay, I get it. I mean, you know, can we weaken Trump? You want to play the, the strangest conspiracy theory that I can come up with? It's this. You ready? It's that Nikki and her donor class have information that leads them to believe Trump will end up not being the nominee. They're paying somebody, they're offering somebody money not to run for that Senate seat, Carrie Lake. I mean, do you not believe that they're offering some judge or some lawyer or some juror? I mean, do you really, see, that's what we got to be careful about. Mm. We, we think we're playing chess at times, and they're playing 4D chess. So my greatest concern is that Nikki and her puppet masters, as Ramaswamy refers to them as, are knowledgeable about how some of these transgressions will play out, and she's the last woman standing. I, I, I got no proof. I got somewhat of a hunch, but when I try to play out what's in this for Nikki, there are no secrets in that world. There are no unknowns in that world. Knowledge is power. And when you have enormous power and enormous influence and enormous amounts of money, you dictate outcomes. So is there a scenario that Haley and her puppet masters, the wealthy donors, have created a scenario where Trump is in so much trouble, he can't continue as the nominee. She steps in as obviously the only other option there is. That is dastardly. That is out there. I mean, that is obviously a conspiracy theory, but I think it's got to be considered. Remember when Ramaswamy, before he got out of the race, was talking about the insidious plan right in front of your eyes. He said, and it doesn't involve Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, or Kamala Harris. He said, it's right in front of your eyes. And it's Nikki Haley. I mean, I played that out. I mean, I, I do believe there's wow. an extreme example. Well, I mean, I, you know, and, and, and once again, take that for what it's worth. I, there's, there's, there's not an article in Politico suggesting that. But so far, they've proven that there's nothing they won't do to try to stop Trump. Do you believe the billionaires who fund campaigns have information that you don't? Do you believe the billionaires who fund Haley's campaign have access to changing outcomes that you and I don't? Okay, just leave it there. Just leave it there. <laughs> let, let your mind wander a bit. Guys, in politics, anything goes. Some people can't cut it in politics because they have something inside of them that says, I'll do this, but I'm not doing that. I mean, I, I'll, and most of us won't do this or that. Most of y'all. Um, most of y'all won't do this or that. I'll do this, but not that. But some people who have a burning desire to be in charge, to be influential, to be important, to be in the bright lights, to, to amass enormous fortunes, they will do this and that. And I speculate that Haley's one of those that will do this and that. I mean, I know Nikki probably better than anybody listening to my voice, but I'm not, I'm not going on vacations with Nikki. I mean, I'm not sat down and had three-hour conversations with Nikki. I mean, we ran together in 2010. I ran the lieutenant governor campaign. She ran the gubernatorial campaign. At the end of it, I mean, we had several joint functions that we got together and, and you know, talked about an agenda and a platform and what I could help most with. I mean, well, yeah, we had some of those 
political conversations, but 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 I think there are a few politicos that will do this and that. We'll find out if if she's won. 843-661-0937. We'll carry this to the hard break, right, Josh? Yeah. And then we've got some guests in the next hour. Um, I mean, we spent a couple of hours not defending conspiracy theories, not legitimizing conspiracy theories, but suggesting, and I told Rev during the break, it seems to me, and then once again, kind of a casual observation, seems to me that some of the conspiracy theorists are brighter than some of the non-conspiracy theorists. Is there some measure of intelligence? You know, you're you're somewhat of a conspiracy theorist. You're not. You get in this group, you get in this group. Okay, we we group people. We compartmentalize people. Silo, silo, silo. Um, what's the average IQ of a conspiracy theorist? What's the average IQ of a non-conspiracy theorist? My money's on the conspiracy theorist. for one of the IQ contests. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We don't have any calls, do we? No calls on the phone right now. we got two guests in our studio. They've been with us before. One was a um, a regular back in the day of our um, before we became the dominant media force that we have we become. Rev, yeah. we were but a um, when we were in the process of building this media empire um, that we are now the proud oh yeah um, proprietors. Of, well, wait, we're not the proprietors. The guys that own this thing are, are other than the two of us. Well, we just work here. But um, but you're you're a little freaked out now, man. Yes. If, well, well I mean, if, if, if gazillionaires can control elections and Zuckerberg is $450 million to the Center for Tech and Civic Life and they turned the vote out like never before in Gwinnett and Fulton County and Maricopa County and Philadelphia, what makes you believe they couldn't take legal situations and make them turn out the way they wish them to turn out. This is on top of our talk about conspiracy theories. Well, that's another morning. conspiracy theory. Um, exactly. Um, and then Jim in his call made such a good point. I mean, this this leaked tape where Carrie Lake is apparently being asked to not run for Senate and we're willing to kick in a bunch of money. I mean, multiple tens of millions of dollars potentially to keep her from running. And so you add that extra ingredient in there that, well, if they're willing to do that, then what are they willing to do, and is the fix already in on Trump? Well, and I'm less. Or of they a consider Car- it. In. I'm less of a Kerry Lake fan today than I was yesterday. There's great honor <laughs> in not taking the bribe. You think she should have taken the money? Ten million dollars yeah. to not run? Maybe twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I think she said even a billion. I wouldn't do it. I think she's lying. Right. I think she's a liar. I think a billion dollars. Why would you not? I mean, I, I, it's not a bribe. Well, it is a bribe, but it wouldn't be just like, hey, there's money in a bag. It ain't Alabama football. I mean, this would be, um, there's a there's a job, a job over here. That there's a there's a uh, there's a committee you can sit on. You can be on the Boeing board, the IBM board, and the Microsoft board, and together that pays two million dollars a year. And you've got you know um, you've got lifetime status or something. I mean, that's the way that game is played. Listen, and and I want to get our guess here. Here's what I'm sure of, and we've talked a lot about things we aren't sure of. I don't know how many conspiracies are true. I don't know how many conspiracies are not true. But but I know in politics, money is the answer. Now what's the question? And never, ever, ever forget that. Money is the answer. Now what's the question? And I think the tape proves that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I give Carrie Lake a little credit for, you know, but – I probably would have said, because I'm a good old boy, I'd say, 
Let me get your number. Yeah. Let number? me get your number. How case, much are we talking in case, here? In case I change my mind. Yeah. yeah. I'm waiting on that call from the bank, and it might not be the call that I need. To, so let me get your number, and we'll talk We'll talk later. But, but 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 you're right, and that this is what has me thinking about, you know, the 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 people that have the money and the power and the control. You know, I think they'll. there's nothing they won't do to try to stop Trump. You better keep thinking that. Right. And you so your question, that. are they convinced that they've got that? They've got this thing handled one way or another. That's there you and go. that's why they're backing. Have they, be, be, be cool. We've got this fixed. Yep. We've got this handled. And that's why they're sticking say, hey, Could be. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying you, 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 you're, you're naive and a fool to not put that on the table. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. That they've, they've got this handled. Hey, what do you mean you got to handle? Just let it be. We've got this handled. Um, I mean, these people have unfathomable amounts of money and power and influence. I mean, you know that. We just don't know what they'll do or not with that power influence. Speaking of money. Um, the Miracle League requires money, and these two guys have been very dedicated to making sure it is successful. Ronnie Pridge and Kevin Elliott are with us this morning. Ronnie, I'll start with you. Good to see you again. Good to be here. Ronnie reached out to me. Kevin, good to see you again. Thanks. Um, let's um let's talk a little bit about before we talk about the 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 ask. Let's talk about the Miracle League. You were on. You were the recreation director. Yep. At a time, and you came on the show multiple times talking about how near and dear this was to your heart. Kevin has a family um, right. situation that got him real motivated to be involved in this. But, but Ronnie, when did we decide to make Miracle League a reality, and, and, and what do we need to do to make it better? Well, 2014, we got together. We put an ad out, and uh, we did a buddy ball game over at Savannah Grove Park. We had roughly 15, 17 participants show up. Saw Kevin come through the door. I said, there's my leader. You always got to have a good, strong leader. And um, since then, uh, he and Vicky and the board members uh, have been raising funds. And we realized our goal of our Miracle League field in what year? 2000. We've had it five years, I yeah, think. So, Something like that. And this is our 10th year. Just we make started, it up, Kevin. It doesn't matter if you accurate <laughs> we, we started in 14 in 2024. This is our 10th year. So we plan to do some some recognition uh, of what the is it what, let's not assume that people know what the miracle league <clears throat> is what is the miracle league kevin uh we're just a a non-profit organization baseball league for special needs kids and adults you know we everybody likes baseball and without miracle league families wouldn't have the opportunity to come out and let have their family member play Tell as much as you're comfortable with about your particular family situation. My sister has spinal muscular atrophy, never walked a day in her life. And it was at about the time the ADA became a reality, the American Disabilities Act and, and you know, ramps instead of stairs and all this sort of thing. But my sister was at the beginning of that. She died, you know, early in life. But anyway, um, I know the challenges that, that kids with special needs have, the families that build these lives around these kids with special needs. You and I played a lot of ball against one another right. a few times together, but mostly against one another. Um, you wanted your kid to play sports. That's exactly right. But he had some challenges. Right. And he wasn't able to play under yep. normal circumstances. Tell as much of that as, you're, as you'd like. Um, well, my, my son ha has epilepsy, and uh, you know he's had three brain surgeries, which caused paral partial paralysis on one side of his body. Um, you know, my... My dad always coached me. I grew up playing playing ball. Like you say, we played against one another a lot. I coached a lot of high school baseball. You know, my dream one day was to be able to coach my son like my father coached me. And, you know, Lord had different plans. And then when Ronnie 
you know, did the buddy ball and, you know, it, it was like a dream come true for me and my wife. And that's why we got so involved in it. So we would have the opportunity for our son to play and I would have the opportunity to be able to coach him like, like my father did. And, and Ronnie, you went out and lobbied the county. Yes. And you lobbied foundations. Yes. And you lobbied individuals to invest in this Miracle League, and it worked. Yes. The county administrator at the time, Mr. Rusty Smith, went to the Bruce and Lee Foundation and the Betty S. Campbell Foundation, and they provided us with the funds to build our first field. Um, and well, the only field we got. But uh, anyway, we, um, you know, and, and then through – the board raising funds and that. And if you want to see where our money goes, go out and look at that new all inclusive playground we got. It's the best thing on this side of the Mississippi. Um, it's, it's just great. So we put the money right back into the league. Um, we covered the bleachers so the people can sit in the shade and 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 so forth. But but yeah, it's um, it was a dream of mine for a long time. Made it come. But there again, you got to have good people. We got great support from the Florence community, for the whole Florence County community, and um, you know. We just we're just very blessed, and and it's just uh, when you see a young girl named Emma get up out of her wheelchair and w- take five or six steps to home plate because she wants to touch home plate, man, it's just it's just you know heartwarming. It's my therapy session when I'm having a bad day. It's my therapy session, and it don't cost me. I go out, go out there and and it's great. And the story I always tell about Matthew, our first buddy ball game, he come with a bat glove on. Kevin said, yeah, he was taking two hundred swings a day getting ready. He wore blisters on his hands, so they had to buy him a glove, but. You know, but yeah, it's, it's a great thing, uh, very touching, and, and probably the best thing I did in my 35-year career. Talking about batting practice, I, Kevin can really, I always felt I didn't have but about five good swings in me, so I'll waste them in a batting cage, <laughs> in, in, a, in a batting cage somewhere. But but Kevin, the you guys have fundraisers. There's That's one right. particular fundraiser that you really depend on and count on to be successful. That's why you're here today, right. to try to invite our listeners, whether you got a kid with a challenge or not, to help celebrate some of these circumstances and situations and the fundraiser is right around the corner. So I'll get out of the way and let the two of you solicit support and, and, you know, uh, an understanding of what the fundraiser is and why it's important to you guys. Yeah. We have a big, uh, oyster roast once a year. This this Saturday night at the fairgrounds, um, from six o'clock to 10 o'clock is all you can eat oysters. All you can eat chicken bog. And we've got, uh, entertainment be jeb mac band like i say this is our big fundraiser of the year that way we can do different things with our league um solid auction yeah we have a huge solid auction and we have our it's first class i mean i've gone several times it's first class the way you guys do it and our community has really stepped up this year with sponsorships uh we, last year we had record number record dollar sponsorships last year and We've we've passed that this year, so the community, businesses, individuals have really stepped up this year, and and we you know we can't thank them enough. And but Ronnie, you never got enough. I mean, there's always somebody out there we want to we want to engage and and get a part of this. So 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 how do they how do if somebody out there is hearing this and wants to support, what, what do they need to do? Well, they can go on our Facebook page and hit the link and and buy their tickets online. Uh, they can come to the gate. What's and- the Facebook page? <clears throat> Miracle League of Florence County. Okay, Miracle and, League of and, Florence County. Yep, there's a QR code on there. You can go through. I don't understand all that, but you can go to the <laughs> QR code and, and buy your tickets, or you can buy them at the gate. Um, we won't turn anybody away, but, you know, we're we're typical human beings. We we get this. We get we sit out with three phases. Now we're going to four, five, and six phases because, you know, the program, and Kevin said he coaches. He does coach Matthew, but he coaches all 250 participants. 
But but so we had two hundred fifty. We got fourteen teams, and that's taxing. We only got six or seven board members, so that's taxing for us. So our our, our big big dream right now is another field, another canteen, so we can you know. But but you know so, like I said, we take the money and put it back into the program. So all money raised is going back into the Miracle League. Last question: If somebody out there has a kid with a challenge, and they've given up on believing that kid can play athletics. I mean that that I gotta believe that's the most rewarding part of all this, to 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 allow a kid and a family that don't believe there are opportunities out there, but there are. So so a lot of people don't know about that. So if there's a family listening that has a kid with a certain challenge and they've kind of written off baseball, how can they find out whether or not their kid is is able to play? Go on the Miracle League Florence County Facebook page or call six six seven zero nine two zero and and talk to Andy up there. Um, we'll be glad to take them. It's never, never out of out of works. Um, we will take them, and they will have a great time. We're good at getting buddies for our players, so the parents can sit in the stands and be a parent and cheer for their team, for their player. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just reach out to us, a board member. You see us, we'll get you on one way or the other. And the the oyster roast again is when it's this Saturday night, six o'clock to ten o'clock at the fairgrounds. I know they're calling for rain. But we'll be inside, so don't let that stop you from coming. There you go. And it's a big time. It's a good time. Great entertainment, great food. Um, yeah, I'll say it. Great beverage. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to my Baptist friend. I know y'all I know y'all don't partake, but occasionally I'll um, I'll backslide. Anyway, thanks to both of you. Really appreciate what you do. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you. We'll take a break, Josh. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Had a pretty lively show today. We've jumped around. Um, not the uh, majority conspiracy theories, um, but I mean, Trump's the candidate and Trump is the destabilizing force in American politics today. So what you're seeing is much larger than Trump. You're watching people who have stabilized the world into a certain place. They have unbelievably benefited from the stabilization of a certain way of doing things. And along comes this political creature and a, and a large army of support that says, I don't like the way things are. I mean, I know they're, you're saying they're stable. I don't feel like I'm benefiting from the stability of which has been created in, in the system. I mean, you've heard Reggie Armstrong on numerous occasions. You know what he says? What the markets don't like is, is unpredictability. I mean, the markets don't like knowing what is the Fed going to do. Well, I mean, the, the, the markets already cooked at a bunch of, of a Fed rate cuts. We don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> I think they do. I mean, you know, that's kind of an interest. You know, just think of that. Yeah. I mean, the Fed, the fix the is Fed has not lowered rates to the point of the market anticipating, but the market's already priced in all the Fed cuts. I mean, do you believe Jerome Powell tells the most powerful people on the on the planet, go take a hike? I mean, I don't. I personally don't. And and they built this very selfish and stable world, and they're afraid that the destabilizer that Trump is and the army he brings with him, the, the, the great miscalculation, Josh, and I don't know if you've heard me say this. I've said it numerous years. But the great miscalculation, and they're too smart to make this mistake, but I genuinely believe, Bree says everything's on purpose. Eh, I think smart people make mistakes at times. They get full of themselves and full of their, you know, that they're having authority. But, but the great mistake the American ruling class made was underestimating 
the human carnage when we deindustrialized the American economy. I mean, I think you, you, it makes sense. Corporations want to go to China and make more money. They want to go to Malaysia. They want to go to Korea. They want to go to India and make more. I understand that. So policy, NAFTA, GATT, TPP kind of um, encouraged them to seek cheaper places to do business. Export, import, tariffs, I mean, all this, you know, tax rates, safe havens, tax codes, and all this repatriation. I mean, there's a lot of things going or, or kicking around in that debate. But but the the mistake the cons- I don't want to say conservative elites, the the mistake the elites made was what do we do with all these human beings once they don't have hope for the future? I mean, do we do we believe they'll just put a gun to their head and kill themselves one after the other? They'll jump off bridges in mass, or do we believe they'll find some Pied Piper, some Robin Hood like figure? I mean, that, the, to me, the latter was the more reasonable alternative. They're not all going to jump off bridges. When you put locks on plants that employ thousands of people, people don't instantaneously lose hope and give up. Over a period of time, they do, and we began to deindustrialize the American working class. I mean, if I were running for president, that would be one of my priorities. I mean, we're, I'm not depending on service. I'm not depending on green energy. We're going to industrialize this country again. We're going to make stuff again. We're going to build widgets here and be proud of them. Stamp God bless America and, and made of the good old U.S. of A. I would unravel some of the trade deals. I mean, I think that's at the heart of America first. I mean, if you look back, the deindustrialization of the American Midwest, I mean, that's why the blue wall failed. That's why Trump won Michigan. He won Wisconsin. He won Ohio. He won Pennsylvania. I mean, th- those are the people I'm talking about. The, the Midwest was our industrial manufacturing corridor. And the elites allowed those jobs to leave and go to cheaper places that abuse human rights and have they don't have child labor laws. Well, all of a sudden, you got a bunch of people who saying, wow, I mean, I had hope. I had a future. I mean, I could have worked at that plan. I could have worked at that industry or industry or, or manufacturing facility, but it's gone now. And all of a sudden, I mean, I don't want to go down the road of opioids and, and alcohol and suicide and, and you know, um, depression. I mean, I, that, there's a big, there's a lot to chew on there if you want to study that issue at length. But, but I do believe that the elites made a fatal mistake. Paul Ryan said a little bit of this when he was Romney's running mate. Ryan was from Ohio and he, kind of fancied himself as a kind of a warrior of the working class, you know, Ohio and blue collar and, you know, we don't take no stuff. I mean, this is pre-Trump, but Ryan basically gave a speech to a chamber somewhere uh, when he was running and he said, you know, these people are on edge. I mean, they're very nervous about their house payment, the cost of goods, their income, um, their hope and future for a better, for a better life. And that has become the great destabilizing force in American politics today. Someone last night said on CNN, I think it was a, um, a fraud against slip, but they said the problem with Trump is he's got the voters with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? I mean, one of the talking heads, I was sitting around this, this semicircle yeah. table, you know, all the these problem, these very decorated. Yeah. The, the problem. Well, I mean, Axelrod was saying it about, well, I mean, you know, don't read too much into this guys. Because Nikki may overperform by two or three points, but it's Democrats. I mean, it's not Trump has the overwhelming support of the Republican voter, period. And the female said, well, that's the problem. (laughs) 
I mean, the problem is Trump's got these voters with him, you know, and, and that's the force. It's not Donald Trump on an island. It's Donald Trump with an army of working class people from a variety of, of states and a variety of walks of life. And that's, um, CNN says that's the problem. To me, that's the only chance we yeah, got. Those annoying people, yeah. those well, I mean, regular voters. Yeah, the problem with Trump, the people are with him. I mean, <laughs> you know, the voters are with him. We've tried like hell. To talk those voters out of being with disposed him. of this guy a long time ago, but those annoying been, voters. We've not been, I mean, it's easier to kill him than kill all them, right? I mean, it's, look at Josh. I mean, Josh going like, mm, hey, you're right. It's a lot easier to kill Donald Trump than it is kill all these millions of people. You know, these hillbillies and hayseeds. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the well, ball. I, I wanted to make sure I heard something you said before we take a call um, a minute ago. I want to make sure I clearly heard this. Do you think there is a possibility that the people that are ruling the world Okay, masters of the domain or whatever, have the ability to influence somebody like Powell and are influencing and telling him what to do with interest rates and these matters of huge consequence to our country, our country and our economy. You want a long answer, short answer? (laughs) Whatever answer you want. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Of course. Absolutely. They have the ability to influence. It's their it's their machine. I mean, they, they decide the rules and terms and conditions of how the machine operates. Yes, absolutely. Will Jerome Powell make every decision based on everything those people want? Now, he'll throw us a bone every now and then. I mean, he got to appear to be fa- uh, fair, right? I mean, I had a good mm-hmm. friend of mine. I mean, I've told you this. A good friend of mine, kind of a mentor of mine. In politics early in my career, I wanted to win everything. I mean, I, wanted to, I just wanted to kill, 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 win, 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 win. And he told me one day, I'll never get it. He said, if you, if you win all the time, you'll end up on an island. You got to let some of your buddies win every now and then. Some of the priorities they have aren't your priorities. So, so if you want to just take your priorities exclusively and just go out, work everybody and outsmart everybody and be more diligent than everybody, you'll end up not, not the favored son. You got to let other people win from time to time. So does Powell do things to make it appear he's not of the elite? Or the, the cathedral's pocket. Yeah, he'll do things every now and then to make you suspicious about how much coordination goes on between the Fed and the oligarchs. And it is oligarchs. I mean, America has oligarchs. Of course. Of course we do. Let's go to the phone. John in Florence. Good morning. Uh, yes, Dave Ken. Uh, I was one of those masters of the universe would uh, know if uh, South Carolina will ever have a closed primary or not. But um, that's not my question. I worked with Dave one time. I don't know if he remembers. About 10 uh, close to 15 years ago, um, we were down at Santee. Uh, it was me, him, and Jay Gregg and Kevin Davis on a on a pontoon boat <laughs> in the lower lake. But uh, I remember that well, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Carrying about a 15 pound camera on my shoulder. But uh, right, we, we were doing the uh, uh, we were doing the TV show. Right, South Carolina outdoors. outdoors right. I, I forget if it was striper or crappy fishing. But anyway, my question was: um, I listened about two days ago. Ken talked about. Um, he was talking about Donald Brazil said something on Larry Hogan's show. And then, Ken, you just took off on Larry Hogan. And I don't know if you ever came back to what Donna Brazil said, but um, you might have. I just didn't catch it. I was curious of what she might have said. Anyway, listen off air. Thanks. Well, I mean, she kind of said, appreciate the call. She kind of said something similar to what the lady said last night. Donna Brazil let her guard down and didn't realize she was on television. And they'll do this from time to time. And I think they regret it instantaneously. Donna Brazil said that we're not dealing with a political figure. We're dealing with a movement leader. 
I mean, you know, we're dealing with a movement here. I mean, Trump is leading a political movement. This is a political quasi-revolution. And I think the second she said it, she was like, can I take that back? I mean, can that be edited? I mean, I would imagine it can be edited. But but Brazil said kind of what the person on CNN last night said. The problem with Trump is he's got all these damn people with him. I mean, there, there are all these working class people who are buying in to, to you know, we, we, we lost our way. We allowed these influencers to have more say and sway than they should. And we're just not going to do it any longer. And, and we're beginning to learn how to fight. And I'm not talking about throwing punches. I'm not talking about, you know, um, tearing up buildings. I mean, I think that's still a bad day. January 6th is still a bad day for the movement. I mean, I think the movement can be. I mean, I think there's a lot of intellect involved in America First. I know it's marginalized by the media. I mean, I understand that. I understand they're trying to convince the public that these are a bunch of just angry white people who don't like America not being as white and Jesus-loving as it once was. I mean, I get that media narrative. I mean, I think the majority of Americans know what the media is up to. I do. I mean, I, I, I suspect now when you look at trustworthiness of the media, but I think when Donna Brazile says things, like she said on Stephanopoulos' show Saturday morning, I find it a bit refreshing because that's Brazil saying, hey, we're not dealing with the garden variety re- Republican agenda. I mean, this is a, a larger-than-life political figure who has a huge army that are changing, changing the fundamental landscape of American politics right before our very eyes. We have historically been the party excited about trade deals, the party excited about intervention, the party excited about, you know, um, Wall Street bankers and making sure, you know, trickle-down economics and supply-side economics, and we're morphing into something significantly different. Significantly different. I think the, the Republican president who doesn't promise to the Republican primary voter that I will not get you in a needless and endless war. That's got to be part of the campaign speech. Can you imagine 20 years ago, 10 years ago, can you imagine Mitt Romney looking at a camera and say, I want to promise every Republican primary voter in America, if given the opportunity to be your president, I will never, ever lead this nation into a senseless and endless war. That's Bernie Sanders. I mean, that's what the, I mean, that's what the pacifists say. That's what, forget the non-interventionists and isolationists, but that is a prerequisite today to win the Republican primary. We're in a different orbit. I mean, we're not just a different place. We're in a different orbit. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, you're on. And I guess there was at least two people watching that CNN last night. Uh, Axelrod said the world's out of control. And, and even Van Jones, he made an interesting comment. He said uh, Bernie Sanders won New Hampshire Back in 2020, he said we had to get him out of the way so we could get uh, Biden in there. That was interesting. And then Van Jones says we hide Biden. We'll have the labor union bosses and the clean energy execs take over the campaign. Well, that's maybe somebody's trying to promote a green-collar economy. But I was thinking if you look at the Trump voter, I'm sure the average worker, the people that drive gas-powered cars and diesel-powered trucks, surely outnumber labor unions bosses and clean energy execs. And I think those people I mentioned before, the average worker, that's a Trump voter. 
And you mentioned the term game change, and you were talking about Sarah Palin earlier. Oh, gosh. I, you know, I, with Nikki, I hope, um, in a way, just from being somebody here in South Carolina, she would do better off the stump than Sarah Palin did. Uh, because Sarah did a good job on the stump. And if you remember, use the term, there was a film called Game Change, HBO, behind the scenes of uh, Palin and McCain and Steve Schmidt, who's become the Lincoln Project, Nicole Wallace, uh, who's on MSNBC. And the people that were in that movie, they are part of that anti-Trump gang, uh, Schmidt and McCain, God bless his soul, but he wasn't a Trump fan, Nicole Wallace. So they can, that's their mindset. They call it game change. So don't think that they they can try to do whatever game change they can do. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. Last night, I think it must have been on Fox because I didn't watch CNN, but they were talking about some of the results from 2020. And last night was the first time I actually saw the results from the Democrat caucus in 2020 in Iowa. And because, I, I mean, I've, I've said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, making fun of Joe Biden a little bit, that, that he didn't get enough votes there to actually go on. Well, they showed, and he got 14, I think he came in third, got 14.3% of the vote. First time I'd ever seen the result, because if I remember right, they never released the results from Iowa during the 2016 campaign. And then he went on to New Hampshire. He came in fifth in New Hampshire before coming to South Carolina and obviously turning it around. But I thought that was interesting. So he did come in third in Iowa in 2020. And with 14% of the vote. And he took off in South Carolina. Struggled in Iowa. Struggled in, um, I mean, David Axelrod said last night, not Axelrod, Van Jones, the best campaign for Biden is a basement campaign. I mean, that's the best campaign. If Biden has a chance to beat Trump, it's going to be from the basement. So he, he doesn't, doesn't inspire confidence. I mean, that's what Van Jones said. He doesn't inspire any confidence. So I mean, that's a nice way of saying he has dementia. I mean, he's, he's nobody, you, you can't understand what he's saying, uh, much less inspiring confidence. Is he, is he understand? Can, can I, uh, what did you say, Joe? What did I, I can't, I'm leaning down. I'm hands behind ears like the BGs. I mean, I'm trying to hear and I can't understand a single word. The guy says, not only does he not inspire confidence, you can't understand him. Very little of what he says is understandable. Take a break back in a few. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the hell's he saying? <laughs> and they cheer. <laughs> well, there's signs up to say cheer loudly, cheer loudly, please cheer loudly. Yeah. Ever been to a Bob Dylan, James Brown concert? I mean, go to a Biden rally is like going to a James Brown and Bob Dylan concert. <laughs> what did James say? Don't know he's talking to Bob Dylan. What did Bob? I don't know. I don't have any. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> It's, right. it's it's crazy to believe that that guy has his faculties. You're you're making a a dunce of yourself to defend his cognitive capacities today. I mean, I Trump misspeaks, and the media ah see there. I mean, you know, th- this is a two sided coin. I mean, Trump's got his issues of aging. Biden's got his issues of aging. I've never heard Trump speak like that. Let's do it again, Josh. You ready? I mean, I think in all of its splendor and beauty. You ready? Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel guilty. I mean, I was raised to be respectful of elders. But most elders know when it's time to go home. 
Most elders at that age and at that place in life and with that cognitive impairment understand that it's not in the country's best interest for me to be in charge. I mean, any person of dignity understands how diminished they are and it's time to go home. The, the travesty in this is Jill Biden. I mean, Hunter doesn't know any better. I mean, we, 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 we've got a, a laundry list of Hunter Biden. I mean, what? I mean, it, it, his dad, you know, in, in the weirdest way, maybe that's why Joe ju- does this. I mean, I've never doubted Joe Biden that love his kid. I mean, I don't think you have. I don't think anybody, I don't think the guy should be president. I find him unacceptable as a president, but I've never said the guy doesn't love his kid. Um, he does, and his kids had some issues, and you're, you're, I, mean, I can relate to this. Your, your love intensifies when you know your kid's hurting. I mean, it really does. Your love, we're, we're told to, to, to we, we tell people we love all of our kids equally. Well, you do. But when, kid needs, when one of your kids needs special attention, there's a more intense love you have for that kid because a parent is no happier than their least happy child. I mean, I believe that. A parent is no happier than their least happy kid. And when one of your kids is struggling, you struggle. When one of your kids have issues, you have those issues. I mean, you accept that burden willingly and lovingly. And I believe that Joe Biden has struggled enormously for his kid. And I think Joe Biden understands that my kid is probably in a better place if I'm the president than if I'm not. Um, I mean, I think that's a bad calculus, but I think sincerity is there. I think Joe Biden sincerely believed I got to stay in politics, man, because there's no telling what happens to, to my kid if I'm not. I mean, he can't make his way, can't be gainfully employed, he can't make a living. I mean, he can't sell paintings and all these other. Now, now, I think Joe Biden understands that he's kind of the, um, the don of a criminal family. I mean, I think he understands that. But I do believe in his most sincere moment, Hunter Biden is what he thinks about. And, but Jill Biden knows better. I mean, Jill Biden has her faculties. Jill Biden knows that her husband does not. And she continues to allow her husband to go out and make incoherent statements and just uh, embarrass himself over and over. And it's really an embarrassment for the country. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a leader of a foreign land and you're watching this on display, let's play it again, Josh. You ready? Uh, let me get it back to the beginning. I'm sorry. I just want to play it one more time. Ready? We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. I mean, that's gibberish. And it's not a guy drunk at the bar. I mean, it's not a guy that's had too many beers at a tailgate. It's not a guy the police are escorting out of NFL football game. Okay. I mean, people do dumb things. They drink too much. They get incoherent. They can't speak clearly. That's the president of the United States asking the American people to give him four more years. I mean, just, just put yourself in America's place. That is the current president of the United States of America asking 338 million Americans to give him four more years. He deserves four more years. No way. And you hear Trump upgraded him last night. Trump, as he pointed out during his victory speech in New Hampshire, uh, said he used to say that Biden was the worst president in history, worse than the five worst presidents combined. He upgraded now. He's now worse than the 10 worst presidents combined. Is that official? Is that official for the Trump campaign? <laughs> it is. Because yeah. I want to make sure we understand this. He <laughs> retired Ron DeSanctimonious officially. Right. <laughs> he did. He didn't just retire Ron DeSanctimonious, officially retired Ron DeSanctimonious. So the Trump 
The Trump campaign now says that, per their research, Biden is no longer worse than the five most terrible presidents ever. He's now worse than the six most terrible ten, presidents. Ten. He Enough, really ten, upgraded. Ten. Yeah. Okay, an ten upgrade. Ten combined. I w- wonder if Trump can name ten presidents. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, um, JFK, Reagan. Yeah. yeah. The over-under on ten would be in favor of Trump. Yeah, now, 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 15, no way. No <laughs> way Donald Trump can name 15 American presidents. You're laughing because you know I'm right. <laughs> Probably so. If he named himself twice, maybe. <laughs> Let's, three times. Let's go to the phone. Here's uh, Ed in Florence. Hello, Ed. You're on the air. Yes. How are you doing today? Hey, how are you? Uh, good, good. Uh, yeah, I had, I had a statement to make. And then uh, regarding the uh, 5-4 decision with the Supreme Court, it, they just made. And then I had a question for you. I hope you got time to comment on both of them. But the, uh, uh, you know, the 5-4 decision was was, ba- was basically the two uh, supposedly, uh, at least one conservative, Andy Coney Barrett and uh, John Roberts made. Uh, Mark Levin, I don't know if you listen to him, uh, Andy, he's, he's, he's tough. He's not for the faint of heart. But he made a statement several weeks ago that John Roberts was grooming Andy Coney Barrett to be a moderate. That's what he said. I don't know where he got his information from. This is, as I said, several weeks ago, he made that statement. Uh, grooming her to be a moderate. That's disappointing. My, my question is this, that's not related to that, is when Nikki Haley bows out finally, and that'll be South Carolina, I guess, uh, what are the big donors going to do with their money? Are they going to bow out too? Where are they going to? Are they going to put their money into Trump? Are they going to give it to Biden? What, what, what's going to happen there? And I'll hang up and I'll listen to what you got to say. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. I don't want to cut Amy Coney Barrett any slack, and I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, Roberts is a Democrat. I mean, Roberts is a Democrat. I mean, I, you know, he's appointed by a Republican, and and I, he's a constitute. I get all that, but I mean, Roberts' leanings politically are are Democrat in nature. I think the jury's out on Barrett. I think the jury's out on Kavanaugh. I don't think we know enough about them and their rulings and their decision-making. Um, the decision the court made was based on pending and ongoing litigation. I mean, they, they made a decision, no question about it, but there are a lot of lawsuits between Texas and the federal government that are pending and, 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 and under current litigation. And I think the court said, let's let some of these trials play themselves out. Let some of these hearings take place and find out what judges say. Uh, there's a chance to revisit in, in proper time. I, I'll cover the next, but it, we're running out of time. You have to join us at 6 in the morning. Have a good day.